You're listening to episode 60 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Does anyone else think it's pretty messed up at the end of Star Wars that Princess Leia doesn't give Chewie a medal for his, you know, honor and everything? She gives one to Luke and Han, but she doesn't give one to Chewie. You know, they're always shafting the the furry sidekicks, man. He's a hero. People love the Ewoks. too. He's a non-human hero. Does that make him any less of a hero? Uh, yep. Now, hold on. Are are Luke and Leia human? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, if you go on I mean, Wikipedia, they're classified like, as human. They're humanoid sure. for sure, right? Like, no, they're human. They're humans. Okay. So oh, I, I don't have an argument. Out. I'm just. I'm. It's a question. I'm just asking. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So. The the other thing, uh, Chewie also gets shafted in Force Awakens, right? Because if I remember correctly, when Han dies, Leia makes a beeline for Rey to hug <laughs> Rey and completely ignores Chewbacca. It's like, no so, no big deal, just your oldest friend! <laughs> yep. Look, a new girl! <laughs> so we did yep. Chanel! So, poor Chewie. This, Zoe, that's the name of the episode. Zoe de Chanel. New girl. Who's oh, that's that your connection. Girl? I thought you were saying Ray it's looks Ray. like Zoe Deschanel. <laughs> nah. Yeah, that was that was very flimsy. But I, like, what? <laughs> I got it. I got it. <laughs> I, I, I got it too. But I was like, wow, what, is that where we're going? Well, let's hang for a walk for a short drink that's of water. That's the kind of high comedy you can expect here on the Comics Pals. <laughs> uh, we've been doing this to uh, middling success for sixty episodes, and, and that's why. <laughs> um, we're gonna continue to do that today. Uh, if you want to hear the rest of those episodes and let us know how great we are, uh, there are many ways you can do that. You can find us on iTunes and all other podcast hosting platforms while you're listening to us. You can leave us a rating and a comment if you'd like. Uh, you can also find us at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold, where you can also talk to us about why Chewbacca is your least favorite character from Star Whoa. Wars. Whoa! Uh, you Whoa! can write to us. <laughs> oh, Jamie! I mean, I actually prefer Jar Jar Binks, Whoa, to be honest. Shit. Uh, oh my god, now we're done professionally. <laughs> this this news doesn't surprise me at all. That's it's fun. actually a lie. Sean's um, a Jar Jar Binks apologist. Homeboy's favorite X-Man is Jean Grey. Of course he loves Jar Jar Binks. Whoa! Whoa. We're fucking throwing a lot of shade here. We're not even through the intro yet, you guys. Kill. In order for us to progress through the show... <laughs> You need to say something nice about Jean Grey. <laughs> what in God's name would you like me to say? <laughs> to say she has gray hair. Great hair. She, well, she doesn't have like gray hair. Great hair? <laughs> so hair. you can also find the Comics Pals on Stitcher now. I don't know if you guys uh, knew about that. Marco got us signed up for Stitcher. And uh, I don't know. Here soon we'll be on uh, Stitcher Premium getting all that hot podcast money. <laughs> Given all these hot, soon, shitty Jean Grey takes, our um, our logo is actually going to change. Um, we're actually removing one of the faces from the logo. Oh it's no! Really interesting. The, I knew that day was coming. <laughs> the far right one depicting Kale's on its way out. Oh, um, but moving right along. <laughs> I thought you meant me. <laughs> uh, you can also write to us at thecomicspals at gmail .com. You can write to us and talk to us about why Kale is your least favorite pal um, and why he is a hater. Uh, and, uh, of course, last but not least, we are on YouTube, where you can leave a like, 
drop us a comment, subscribe to our channel, and share the video with your friends. Uh, we are on the road to 100 subscribers. Help us reach that goal by the end of the year. There's not a lot of time left. Not a lot of time left. While you're in the rush for Christmas shopping, give the pals a gift. The gift of your subscription. All I want for Christmas is your approval and love. Oh my god. <laughs> sounds sounds like my relationship with my parents. Oh my god. This Sean. isn't the therapy pals. This is the comics pals. I'm sorry, when uh, do we record that show? <clears throat> yeah. Mondays at four. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Alright, we'll see you guys there. Sean. Right. Hey. I want everyone to know that I'm back. <laughs> Phil is back uh, and looking wilder than ever. I, uh, you guys can't see this, but... I don't know if you guys know this, but while I was in Los Angeles last weekend, I actually got purchased by uh, by Disney. <laughs> <laughs> well, before that, I was bought by 20th Century Fox and part of the merger. I'm... Oh, boy! Huh? Oh, man. How does it feel to be a Disney property? I'm so excited! Huh? <laughs> so Strange. i gotta tell you guys i love the avengers movies i love the x-men movies i just love everything disney now good me too oh boy i also can't wait for their brand new streaming service <laughs> make sure you subscribe <laughs> <laughs> so as phil uh alluded to the Disney-Fox uh, merger, not merger, but acquisition did go through. We're going to talk about that a little later. Alongside our review of Star Wars The Last Jedi, which should Woo! be really interesting because people are divided on that movie. And so maybe the pals will also be divided and then we can fight about it. Um, That's the shit but... you like, don't you listeners? You like us being divided. You like us fighting. Just That's like my like parents. Interrupting. Uh... Divided in fighting. Before we get into, see, again, guys, not the therapy pals. Save it for the therapy pals. Yeah. Uh, before we get into all that, though, I do have a question for you guys. Oh, so does that mean uh, that it's time for the random question of the week? Brought to you by that Disney. ending was weak. <laughs> Hashtag not an ad. <laughs> all right, so... Uh, Mads Mikkelsen, uh, who is a pretty good actor, um, he's done a number of different things. One of the things that he's famous for is hilariously walking out of an audition for the role of Doctor Doom in the most recent Fantastic Four movie. Has said, "Dodge the fucking bullet." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. He said that he would like to play Spider-Man. Now. Mads Mikkelsen is not a young guy. And what? yeah, he said that he would love to play an older version of Spider-Man. And so that got my gears turning and made me want to ask the question, what character would you guys like to see an older version of on screen? And if you feel like casting, go for it. But you cannot pick Batman and you cannot pick Wolverine because we've already seen both. Mads Mikkelsen in Spider-Man Reign, the movie. <laughs> no, I, I, I would love that. You guys ever they, read Spider-Man Reign? They, they would need depressing. They would need somebody like Michael Caine or or uh, 
Michael Caine, love. Michael Caine. I'm, Ma- I'm Michael Caine, and I am <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> I love Disney. <laughs> well, no, not yet. Disney has to buy Sony now if they want to be able to say that. So, not yet. We got, we got a couple more weeks before that one goes through. Um, this is a really good question. Uh, I'm having a hard time... I'm having a hard time thinking of a hero who would specifically benefit from being older. You know, like, what can you... Like, I feel like there aren't a lot of stories about, like, an older Superman. But I I think that's, like, a pretty interesting thought of, like, what happens when a god starts to lose his speed and everything. Like, obviously, he'd still be way stronger than the average person. But, like, what does that mean for a Kryptonian, right? Like, what does that mean for Superman to grow old? A lot of older Superman stories deal with him struggling to rediscover his humanity because, you know, he lost Lois because she's died of old age, presumably Jimmy Olsen and Batman, like the whole Justice League. Everything that tethered him to Earth have expired from old age. So it's him trying to rediscover that humanity that he had when he was younger because everything that made him human was dead. So is the implication that he will consist like that he'll consistently live longer than a normal human? Yeah, because okay, he, he ages slower. Okay, that makes sense. That actually, no, you know what? That doesn't make sense because we've also watched stories of him being a teenager and growing up alongside <laughs> human beings at the same rate. So I don't buy that. I want to see a story of him just being old and like he's eighty and gonna die soon. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for whatever reason, he uh, but by, by the time he, I guess he ages slower when he hits his peak. I don't know. That's like some bullshit Dragon Ball Z logic. It's, it's, like... <laughs> he's, a, he's a solar battery. Uh, the more exposure to the sun causes him to age slower. I like right. it, Phil. Yeah, I don't uh, know. I feel like there's something there. Yeah. yeah I don't know who I'd cool. cast him as. Well, let's wait like 10 years until John Hamm's old enough. <laughs> oh, that'd be cool shit. All right. I'm going to pick John Hamm for every one of these. So. <laughs> John Hamm is that's everyone. the story you want to see as an older character. I want to see the story of old John Hamm. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> it's him wearing heavy prosthetic makeup now, trying to guess what his life will be like in 30 years. <laughs> uh, Kale, you want to go next? I, man, I don't know. Uh, yeah, similar to Pete, like I don't. At, at this point in, oh, are we? We're only talking movies. Yeah, I just don't think there's much that would benefit from from that. Logan, Logan worked really well because you know it was a a finale for both uh, Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart in in those roles. Um, I don't really care about anyone in the same way. Um, Plus, like, with, with Wolverine as a character, like, age and, like, time are, like, such a big part of him that, mm-hmm. like, it's totally appropriate to be like, well, what happens when the man who never ages finally gets old, right? Like, there's something there. Uh, yeah, right, I don't know. I want to answer might... for Kale. Mads Mikkelsen in a Spider-Man as an adult, but he has May Parker as uh, his daughter in like the M2 universe. That'd be good. I wouldn't want Mads Mikkelsen. That, that's not like <laughs> that's true. It's just it's Parker. just not wow. like I'm sorry. Like I'm, uh, the dude's a great actor. Don't Kale's get me wrong. response was like a kid opening up a present on Christmas Day and being like, I don't. 
I don't want hockey skates. You guys get... I don't, I don't like this. What are presents? Christmas presents? <laughs> the theme of this um, episode is that Kale's unloved. <laughs> uh, man, I, it might be cool to see, like, a, an older Doctor Strange, I guess. Like, a, mm, mm. Uh, a Sorcerer Supreme sort of uh, past his prime who has to deal with, like, the the wackiness of, like, new magic. I guess. Doctor Strange, what was that spell? I have to pee every five minutes. It removes the waste. (laughs) (laughs) Empty bladder spell. (laughs) I have to use the eye of Agamotto to check my colon every ten minutes. Still no cancer. Okay, I'm going to say Bruce Wayne, but because it's not the same Bruce Wayne that we saw, it's an even older Bruce Wayne. It is uh, Batman Beyond age Bruce Wayne. No cop-outs. I said no Bruce Wayne. Well, in that that instance, we could see either a Damian Wayne Batman movie, which in that teaser, Batman 666 was really fucking cool, or we could see a Batman Beyond movie. Which would also be really cool. You can't pick Bruce Wayne. God damn. What about what about an older Terry McGinnis? I got one. Savage Hulk. Uh, not Savage Hulk. Um, what's his name? Um, the Maestro. The Maestro. <laughs> the Ma- Maestro. <laughs> this is the movie where, where the Hulk is an Italian chef. <laughs> we specialize in Chef Boyardee. <laughs> So when Disney buys Chef Boyardee, we got a movie. <laughs> we got a fucking movie. <laughs> I broke Sean. The best part of that is, like, for those of you at home who don't know, Sean has asthma. I see him lean back and, like, try to get a huff on his inhaler, and it's like he's going to pass out. And then he's just, oh. you hit him again with the Chef Boyardee joke. Oh, my I thought God. He, I thought he'd fallen out of his chair. That's funny, man. Oh, boy. <laughs> the, oh, wow. Funny enough, actually, there was, um when we did our uh, Planet Hulk book club, I remember one of the stories in the collection I had read, like, wasn't related, but it was a story about Bruce um, being the last living man on Earth. And, like, it was basically, like, The Road starring the Hulk. And it was, like... Everyone else has died from nuclear war. That doesn't matter to the Hulk. The Hulk he can't die because the Hulk keeps him alive. And uh, there's like these giant mutant cockroaches that have taken over the planet. And basically, like they find him every couple weeks or whatever, and totally devour him down to basically nothing. And then he grows back, and he's just been living like that for like over a hundred years since the world ended. That would probably horrible. be a horribly depressing movie, but I I, I could see it being good. <laughs> Sounds decent, actually. Yeah. <laughs> John Ham is a uh, old. John Ham is old Bruce Banner. John Ham is giant cockroach. So <laughs> that's called uh, Mad Men. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's an excellent joke. Solid. I haven't seen Mad Men. <laughs> it's still a good joke. I'm gonna go with old Tony Stark, and the reason why is because I think it's fascinating 
that he's so first of all he's a futurist right Mm. and his responsibility is to see the see what the world will need and provide it now and i think it's really interesting for him to be in that position when he's completely out of touch you know as an 80 year old man out of touch with society how does he keep up how does he continue to fill that role and if he can't then who is he uh and then that's a great idea just the rate at which technology expands, could he could he keep up with that? You know, can he still be Iron Man in a time that you know he's totally, he's totally not, he totally out of touch with? I I, just, I think that that could be really cool. And then uh, John Hamm would play old Tony Stark. So yeah, I say we bring back Robert Downey like just twenty years from now. <laughs> Like yeah, five years from now. I mean, he's what? He's in his 50s now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, get him back when he's like pushing 70. Last, like, last hurrah. Yeah. <laughs> old man, Iron Man. <laughs> old, old Iron Man. I may yeah. not be able to be Iron Man much anymore, but I can still exploit the shit out of labor. <laughs> <laughs> it's been, it's oh been a God. decade, Phil. Move on. <laughs> he's a good man. All right. I'm sorry, in Phil Casey's world, uh, people are not able to grow or change or be forgiven for their sins because he's Catholic. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that last thing here. It caught me in a, like, mid-breath. So, <laughs> uh, I want to move it along. Um, however, if you want to send your Random question over to us. You can do so in all the ways that I mentioned earlier, including writing to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. So, uh, let's do some pals pulls real quick. From Kale, we've got X-Men Grand Design number one. So this is a big deal because it's uh, Ed Pisker who did uh, the Hip Hop Family Tree, uh, which is uh, a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> a very big deal. Hot take. Uh yeah, I'm really really excited to pick this up. I think uh I think uh a look at you know one of the most uh controversial uh teams in uh comics history probably um through the lens of a a creator who isn't normally associated with either of the big two. I think uh I think has the the potential to be something really really great yeah i'm excited for this one too actually i can't wait to pick it up it looks like it's going to be very very interesting yeah um and then you also chose astro city number 50 nice uh so this issue is a uh, a sequel to the uh, uh very much loved and, and very uh, highly praised uh issue of astro city uh, called the nearness of you uh about a a, a guy who uh, basically dreams about someone who uh, he believes to be his wife, but he's literally never met her in his entire life. And it's because of all of the uh, the superhero antics um, that happen throughout the, the, the timeline of Astro City. Um, and uh, so oh, this so is like a woman from another timeline. That's his wife or something. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking I, cool, man. It's that's man, really interesting. Astro City is 
uh it's it's the the series that that gave me like a a love for these non big two superhero stories because they they can just do whatever and check that out that sounds really cool and astro city specifically it always goes for the angle that is uh a little off the beaten path uh so one of my favorite stories is uh the story of a uh like a retired air force colonel who's also uh a, a superhero and he like he's just working in his garden and one of his uh you know his old friends comes up and he's like hey man we we kind of need you again he gets he gets the fuck beat out of him uh but the whole the whole uh story kind of goes through like his whole career and um it's just it's it's about like the lesser known sort of like i said off the beaten path stories that are just incredible huh mm. isn't that why marco went to la to get the fuck beat out of him by buying that pillow <laughs> Uh, so anyway, uh, Astro City uh, number fifty, a continuation of uh, the nearness of you story. Uh, this will probably be very, very good. Awesome! Damn, I'm excited about that. I would want to. You said there's fifty issues. It's they're all like very right. Yeah, well, I mean they're related, but yeah, they're you don't need to not. You don't yeah. need to worry about continuity. Yeah, I could read that first issue and then this new one and have the yeah. complete story. Okay. The uh, cool. I don't remember which collection. Family values, maybe. I'll figure it out. I'm yeah. a smart guy. Uh, the collections are tremendous. All all of awesome. the covers for every issue of the series are done is done uh, by Alex Ross. Um, oh wow! And each and every single one is better than the last. Who who publishes this image? Uh, it was, I think it's Vertigo. I think it's Vertigo okay. now. Yeah. Cool. A couple of different cool. people through time, but yeah, Vertigo now. All right. <clears throat> uh, and then from Pete, we've got Invincible 143. Speaking of amazing non-big two superhero books, um, I sing the praises of Invincible all the time. It's my favorite comic of all time. It's ending now. Um, if you haven't read it because it seems daunting, um, it's probably a good time to jump on because it's going to be over. Like, there's an end in, in very, very clear sight. I think we have two issues left. Because, yeah, 143, I, th- I think they're going to one. Oh, no, wait, this is the second to last one. 144 is the last one. They're, they're not even going to one 145 I, to. That's exactly that's weird. what I said. Ending on 144 is such a weird number. Or maybe it's 148. 148 might be the last one. And then I was like, why aren't you getting to 150? Like, you're so close to, like, even numbers. Like, I don't. But it's like, who cares? They don't have anything to prove. Like. No Christmas issue to stretch it out? (laughs) All right. Um, And then Phil and I both chose Dark Knight's Metal number four. Phil, take it away. It's been a while. It feels like it's been a while since we had an issue. It's been. It's been a while. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad you both went in a similar direction, but a different direction. We can't. We can't put that in. That's a. That's a joke from another podcast. We can't do that. Nope. It's in. It's in forever. You have to edit that out. Nope. Absolutely not. Um. So this is the fourth one. Uh, the first three are really good. Now the third one ends really ominously. A. Uh, the symbol of hope is trapped in the reverse multiverse. Uh, and on the cover of issue four is the um, the Dream of the Endless from uh, uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman. And he was at the end of the first issue. So I'm really curious 
<clears throat> where that goes. And I'm not going to spoil anymore because I realize some people haven't read any of this yet. But it's been really good. I think this is up there with Scott Snyder's best work. Um, for some writers, I think events are a make-or-break-it moment. A lot of authors aren't up for the task of that much responsibility and that much you know, attention and spotlight, but Scott Snyder has really risen to the occasion here, and I'm really excited to read this, because it's it's been too long. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, it's been a while since the most recent issue. Uh, that issue confused the hell out of me. That's a conversation for another time. Uh, it's really good, and so I can't wait for this one. Um, and then I also chose Marvel 2-in-1, number one. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Oh, does that come uh, out this, this week? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, this is Chip Zdarsky and Jim Chung. Yeah, that's and dope. This is where the the journey, the return of the Fantastic Four sort of begins. This is <clears throat> Johnny and Ben trying to find Reed and Sue and the kids, um, and kind of how that all begins and Dr. Doom somehow involved is involved and sparks that journey. So Marvel editorial is like, Oh, we can use these characters again. Yeah. I mean, Hey, like, you know, we talked about it, like silver linings, right? Like I honestly think the, the implication here, or I'm sorry, the fallout here is going to be more important for the comics than for the MCU. The fact that like, we'll actually see the Fantastic Four and their villains and the X-Men be like prominent again. Um, not that they necessarily like marginalize the X-Men as much as we thought they were going to, but um I think yeah. I think I think because fans caught on to what they were doing and there was a big backlash. Oh yeah, of course. And people care more about the X-Men than the Fantastic Four. So oh, it's like I guess we don't need to use the inhumans anymore. Well, yeah. this story has been in the works for a while, so uh this is yeah, just I what mean, we they, talked this about is this the road ago, right? They've like, been yeah, this is the road they've been going down and uh it's finally here. So I'm really excited. It's funny man, like I would say I'm more excited for this than the actual like return of the Fantastic 4 just because I really like Johnny and and the thing. So it's like I I the idea of them just like, "Oh, we're going on a buddy cop like movie to go find Sue and Reed." I'm like, "Yeah, all right. That sounds fun." I'm about yeah, that. Yeah, should be good. Should be good. Should <clears throat> be good. So could be. Could I think be, it will be. be. I think it will be good. <laughs> All right. Uh, so now we're going to jump into the news. And I want to start by saying get well soon to Brian Michael Bendis. Oh, yeah. Who <clears throat> is on the mend after a surprise MRSA infection. Uh, that this was so crazy. Very nearly killed him. So crazy. Bendis took to Twitter uh, earlier in last week to talk about this terrible uh, incident and he said so one week ago I woke up in intensive care because of a surprise MRSA infection that grabbed and blinded me for four days God. this was the worst week of my life I almost died on Monday it'll take months to recover I wasn't even going to share this it was so bad so that obviously is terrible and scary um, like so scary can you imagine just losing your eyesight for days we could have lost bendis um and obviously there's been an outpouring of support for him from both the comics community and fans alike um but the sad news is that 
this actually came back. Uh, so he's he's going through it again. I didn't hear about that. Oh no. Yeah. 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 This really hoping for the best. I I had like a a panicked moment. Uh, not the uh just after hearing this news about like uh you know Bendis is like ninety percent. He's the 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 way I got into comics and like he's the you know he's one of the people that I like uh, aspire to be like and like it was just. I had this panicked moment of just complete devastation. Like, this one would destroy me. Yeah. I, 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 th- I think he would shake a lot of people our age who are comics readers because, like, you know, I wasn't here for the episode where we talked all about him, but, you know, like, as much as people like to use him as a punchline, like, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody our age who doesn't have a connection to one of his books, you know? Um, and Yeah, it's just like... I don't I don't know where he is with all the remaining stuff he has up in the air at Marvel but like he like it's it's interesting that it happened when it did happen cuz can you imagine yeah. if it just happened without warning like 6 months ago and it's just like oh by the way like six books are just going to come to a grinding fucking halt yeah um, I mean, Bendis so first of all Bendis works so ahead of schedule so oh, when that's, that's he, a good point. he he always has his scripts turned in very well in advance, uh, and then as far as where he's at with his current um, work, I believe his Marvel stuff ends in April. The last issue of Iron Man comes out in April. Uh, Is it written he, already? <clears throat> who knows? Um, yeah. But he did say probably. That he he did say that both publishers, Marvel and DC are giving him all the time that he needs. Oh, I mean, of course, right? Like, yeah. what else could you... Like, yeah, of course. Like, he's... The guy's a living fucking legend, and he got a... He's fighting a deadly disease. Yeah, so... Uh, well, best of luck to him. Absolutely. So, on to some better news. Uh, Young Animal, the sort of cool hip pop-up imprint over at dc comics the punk rock imprint as it were yeah uh, is sort of relaunching in a, in a way uh so this was something that people were really excited about seeing the launch of and i'm not sure how it's done we'll talk about that uh just shortly here but um all of their books except for doom patrol went on hiatus after their 12th issues and so now uh, there's going to be a, a, an event. They're going to have an event series called Milk Wars, which is a five-part story. That's going to see a crossover between the young animal characters and the Justice League. So characters right. like Wonder Woman and Swamp Thing. Um, and this is going to be sort of how they, I guess, draw interest into these characters. Didn't we people... hear about this a while ago? Like, didn't they announce this a couple months ago? Maybe. I, I feel like I remember us talking about this and Marco being like, I don't see how the Doom Patrol is going to like cross over with Superman. You know? Like, I feel like I remember having that conversation. A new miniseries is going to be coming called Eternity Girl. Uh, and it's going to be written by Magdalene Visaggio. And hmm. it's going to be drawn by Sonny Liu. So that's really cool, too. Cool. Uh, all these books are relaunching. Um, so Shade, Cave Carson, and Mother Panic are going to come back with a new number one and they're going to have slightly different titles. And I guess they're hoping that that will draw interest. I, uh, and then, so go ahead. 
I'm sorry. I I thought you were finished. Uh, I thought uh, I I kind of feel like they were only supposed to be like maxi series. Like I I didn't think it was a, a long running situation. So you do you right. think that's what they're doing here? Like that they were like, hey, we're gonna do these maxi series, and if they work out, we'll we'll transition them over into monthlies. Well, or yeah, they'll start another arc. Uh, but yeah, I, I was under the impression that they were, you know, uh, short, short, you know, shortish runs, a year or yeah. so, and they that would figure sense. out what to do. Because, because, uh, like you said, it's 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 uh, a pop up imprint. You know, they probably they probably didn't necessarily expect it to be as popular as it was. Yeah, yeah. Which reminds me, Marco's pals poll this week is Doom Patrol number ten, uh, but he's but he's not here, so. He can go screw. I think that's what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Kale, are you reading these books? Uh, unfortunately, I'm not. Uh, long, long time listeners will know I'm a uh, a trade waiter. Um, and my my two my my two big books, uh, Doom Patrol and Cave Carson, have come out with trades. Uh, but I also am poor. So fair. Uh yeah, so I I am very I I have picked up you know the first couple issues of Doom Patrol and Cave Carson. Um, I I really like them. Uh, Michael Avon Oming is uh the artist on Cave Carson. Uh, Nick Darrington, I believe, is on the majority of Doom Patrol, and his stuff is just fucking stellar. And um, oh god, I'm spacing on his name right now. Um, Gerard Way, does he writes Doom Patrol, right? Doom Patrol, yeah. 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 I know he because he only writes like two of the books, right? He he is full time writer, I believe, on Doom Patrol, and he is like kind of supervising most other things. Uh, definitely Cave Carson, and I want to say okay, Shade. Yeah. Okay, because I, I know he's like running the show, but yeah, I, I, yeah. I knew he was also the the writer on at least Doom Patrol. Um, that's cool though. I'm really glad to see that this imprint is doing well. Like, I haven't checked out any of these books, but they're all interesting. And like, it's just like, it just seems like they're doing something a little different, you know, like, but not so outside the realm of like, you know, superhero stuff. That's cool. Like it just, it's, it's indie with a big budget money kind of, you know? Yeah. Which is like, that's fun. (laughs) That's what, that's what Doom Patrol is. Like. Yeah, like weird, like C list superheroes that that just has a different vibe than I mean, like yeah, yeah, yeah. a they're, lot of other stuff. They're they're the biggest misfits that deal with the universe's strangest problems. That's been their tagline for some time, right? And it's like I don't know, man. Like they just like feel so. They remind me a lot of like the Fantastic Four in like just that they feel like they have a kind of different tone than just a lot of. Con- contemporary yeah. works you know funnily enough they were supposed to be analogous X-Men. to the x-men yeah um mm. and uh, that makes sense strange think, right yeah yeah well and i think i think you see a lot of that in like you know they've got a professor character who's mm-hmm. stuck in a wheelchair for whatever reason and wow uh, his legs don't work that's why <laughs> pro- i mean probably <laughs> and if you ever read morrison's run like it's it's just like it deviates more. It's more Dada. It's surreal. It's uh, it's like a Von Smankmeyer film. So, 
That was Bless like the artsiest you. sentence you've ever yeah. said. Yeah, you were speaking gibberish. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, what? Uh, what film? The Jan Spankmeyer. Uh, Gazuntite. Who? He, he's a Czech. Is uh, a Czech animated. A Czech animator. I was. I was wondering if we could keep this uh, Three Stooges routine going, but. <laughs> Who's on first? All right. So let's move along. Uh, <laughs> Sean's had enough. We've yes, I have. <laughs> we've talked about uh, who will play Batman. Over the last few weeks. And last week, we talked about Ben Affleck kind of not wanting to do it, but um, John Hamm wanting to do it, and Jake Gyllenhaal being rumored to be Matt Reeves' choice. Well, now, another actor has thrown their name into the mix. And that actor is Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Uh, during, a, during a panel at the Walker Stalker Con in New Jersey... Jeffrey Dean Morgan talked about his desire to play the Batman. Uh, And he simply said, there's a role in the DC Universe I've got my eye on. Um, Harley Quinn. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Uh, we already know he can use a baseball bat, so. He's talked about wanting to play Batman in the past. um, And he actually does play Batman's father in Batman vs. Superman. He's Thomas Wayne. So the really interesting thing is that in a roundabout way, he might actually get to play that fucking Flashpoint because Flashpoint is coming. And in the Flashpoint comics, Thomas Wayne, not Bruce, becomes Batman. So it's a possibility that we may see Jeffrey Dean Morgan as Batman. I tell you what, though, uh, if they if they go that route and use John Hamm as Bruce Wayne, uh, that's that's some solid like. Father, son, totally. I'd be all about this. You know, like I feel like the idea of like them really hard committing to Flashpoint and like just letting him be Thomas Wayne as Batman for one movie, and then we get back to the status quo with whoever's replacing Ben. It's like, yeah, like that sounds great. Let's fucking do it. I'm about it. He's a great actor. He's got the Pete and Bessie seal of approval. He's a good actor, man. Definitely, I, I would love it. And that was that was the news this week on. John Batwatch. Doesn't no, have the same flow. We'll figure it out. Hamwatch. Yeah. Hamwatch. <laughs> Batman. Ham, yeah, Hamwatch. I love it. There, yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> so, uh, this week we got the trailer for the Spider-Man animated film this titled Spider-Man so Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, it's so fresh, dude. <laughs> yeah, what's there. going on over there, <laughs> man? It, it looks really. <laughs> you, it looks you, really good, man. Yeah, Phil, have you seen this trailer? This like, looks dope as hell. Oh, I know. I, I I saw the trailer when I went to go see the um, the Last Jedi. I was like, "What the hell is this?" And it very quickly captivated me. I was like, "Oh shit! Oh shit!" It's just shit. so fucking stylish, did, dude. They played it in the theater. They did. Yeah, I didn't see it either. Oh, holy shit! Yeah, and I'm watching this. I'm thinking, like, oh man, this is teen bait in the best way. Teen bait? Like, teens are going to love this show, this movie. Okay. Like, it seems like it's made for a younger audience, like, a, not a too young of an audience, but, like, like yeah. if I was a teenager, I would be fucking tripping over myself. Yeah, I'm a, t- I'm a 24-year-old man, and I'm tripping over <laughs> myself. This looks so cool. I mean, like, I fucking lo- I just love animation. You know, I'm really, like, I am all about the medium, and, like, it just looks so different than anything else you know it has a very distinct unique style like it's taking very serious influences from like actual comic books 
and it it just looks really special, you know, like it's your boy Miles too, and that's the thing, right? Is like, come on, like I'm number one, like Peter Parker, Spider Man, like Miles is fine, but no, like this is great, like this looks awesome, and like I don't, I'm not even into it being Spider Verse, like that that is the thing that I'm kind of like wary about, but it looks so good that I don't care, like a big part of animation is like, well, how, how good is it? Like, how good does it look? And it looks fucking great. Like just some of the moments they treated us to like that, that, um, scene of him standing next to the subway. Like I was like, this looks like a fucking painting. Like this is incredible. This, yeah, this, uh, trailer makes it look like what the, uh, the MTV Spider-Man in like 2000. Absolutely. Uh, I was going to say that. That's, this looks like what that wanted to be. And like hip and urban and modern and and listen in two thousand like I love that series and frankly I still love that series. I uh, have it on DVD, man. Yeah, I do too. Mph um, as Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I this is this is gonna be dope as hell. I'm fucking here for this, man. Like this looks incredible. I can't believe it's only next. It's already it's like next year, right? Like fuck yeah, fuck yeah. Looks better than Homecoming. We'll see. I I don't know. I agree with that. Having not even seen it, like comparing the trailers, I yeah. I don't know. I didn't really have much of a reaction to this. I thought it looked cool, but beyond that, it didn't do anything for me. Um, I don't know what this is gonna be. I guess there's multiple Spider Man. I don't care about that at all. Uh, I would like Miles to just get the spotlight, and that's it. Um, yeah, I agree with that. But. Other than that, I'm gonna. I guess I, I could just need to see more. I don't know. I'm. I, I wasn't excited when I initially heard they were doing this, and uh, I'm still not excited. But uh, the visuals are super cool, and uh, during a panel at last weekend's CCXP 2017, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who wrote the movie talked about the approach that they took with the film and the animation. Um, and they, they talked about how they wanted it to make, they wanted to make it look as cinematic as possible while still having that animation flavor um, through the use of line work and painting and dots and all sorts of comic book techniques. Awesome. See, I knew that there was some, yeah, like you can tell it just, it looks so like, it's interesting because, like, when you actually see Miles' face, you can see that it's 3D, but it looks flat. Like, it looks like traditional animation. And that's just, like, that's really unique. Like, there are not many films or shows or anything that, like, have this specific vibe to it. And if anyone's and... wondering, Phil Ward is Kale and I's, like, fusion persona. It's our I Dragon was... Ball Z fusion. <laughs> I was, I was going to make it a joke about it about it uh, being our kid yeah <laughs> so question did, did, like to make phil ward do you guys do the fusion dance or do you both put on an earring no we, we fuck we fuck <laughs> it's it's similar to like gem fusing fusion from uh steven universe oh, okay. it's just right. yeah just a lot of sex you, a lot of you have a sexual a lot of hairy sexual dance just sweaty sex <laughs> All right, uh, so Miller... I don't think that happens on Steven Universe at all. Miller uh, had this to say about what the movie would be. It is not just another <laughs> Peter Parker origin story you've seen 400 times. <laughs> Phil is just dying in the background. Uh, it is something totally unique and different and not unlike and not like anything you've seen. That's all I can say, and you're going to love it. 
that's cool. Like I'm I'm into it. Yeah, and I mean I'm I'm really pumped about that part of it in the same way that I was pumped about it for for Homecoming. Like we don't need a Spider-Man origin and especially since Miles uh you know origin is basically the same as Peter's like we we don't really need that. I think it's especially problematic too though cuz like to Sean's point, I feel like the whole problem with Miles is like oh Miles well, no, it, I'm, it's just, I've said this before, like, Miles exists in Peter's shadow. And, like, because no matter what, like, even his origin story is, Peter Parker died, I'm inspired to become Spider-Man because I got spider powers. And it's like, there's no way to, like, unless you fundamentally change his origin, which, like, I don't necessarily think would be a bad thing for the sake of wanting to give him, like, his own original movie. But then even so, like, what do you do to make it not, another peter parker origin story of kid get kid get kid gets bit by spider great power great responsibility superhero so like maybe doing a more high concept comic booky universe crossing thing like it seems like maybe they're gonna do like maybe that'll work better you know like i don't know i'm willing to give it a shot i think we kids gonna love this uh, i think that's the big thing like i'm glad this is yeah. being made me too me too so let's talk about something that no one is glad is being made, uh, the Venom movie. See, you're wrong. I'm excited. Ah, uh, fuck you. Yeah, you and your brother will be the only person, the the only people in the theater. Actually, I might be there too because uh, Tom Hardy talked about what the basis for this film would be, and it's going to be based and inspired by. The Venom Lethal Protector miniseries. Now, for the uninitiated, the Lethal Protector miniseries is a run that takes place um, in in California, where Venom kind of leaves New York in order to get away from Spider-Man and all the trouble that he gets into there, and he runs into the Life Foundation, who want to take the Venom symbiote and use it. Uh, and the result of that is that there are five new symbiotes um, and Venom basically is tasked with taking them down. Uh, is this the story where they introduced Toxin or is that? No. Toxin's no? like okay. uh, 15 years later. Um, okay. But so this the, is like the one of the most are... famous Venom stories ever. Yeah. I'm trying to like place it cause it sounds familiar, but I, I can't like, see it. It's 93. 1993. Oh, okay. I thought you said 2006. That's why I thought, okay. Um, so the, huh. the five symbiotes are Scream, Phage, Riot, Laser, Lasher, not Laser. Laser. <laughs> wow, this really was written in the 90s. I would, I would have been interested in a, a symbiote called Laser. Uh, forget it now. <laughs> one, one interesting thing, though, is that it's possible that instead of those five being created through this, uh, the movie may adapt that portion of the story, but turn it into the origin Carnage. of Carnage. Yeah, yeah. that's sure. cool. Which yeah. is actually, I gotta be honest, that's a really good idea. That's that's very smart, and uh, this is the this is about the only way I think you could do a Venom solo movie. I still don't like the fact that Spider Man's not in it. I still don't like yeah. the fact that he hasn't met Spider Man yet. But this is this is actually really smart yeah i think this is, uh, i'm excited i think there's a lot of good shit involved with the 
news behind this movie. Everything I hear is positive. Uh, I'm super intrigued what they do with it because uh, I think there's a lot of potential here. And I'm not going to say it could be good. I, I'm going to say hopefully it's good. <sighs> I don't know, man. Like, I agree with you, Sean, but it doesn't... Like, I, I agree with you. That's the problem. Like, I agree with you that, like, this sounds good, but the problems with this movie are still the problems with this movie. And, like, until it comes out and I hear, you know, an overwhelmingly positive critical response or I see it and decide for myself I was wrong, I, like, there's nothing that you can say about this movie that's going to make me more excited for it just because, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, and also, like, if you're, I don't know, like... Doing Maximum Carnage, like, without Spider-Man, like, it's just such a weird thing to me. This is like, a Maximum Carnage. I, I know, but, like, it's the in- introduction of Carnage. Like, I don't know, whatever. We'll see. All you have to do is, all you have to do is imagine. <laughs> I I am not boarding the hype train, but I am contemplating buying a ticket. Uh, so we'll see. Fair enough. Now, something that I think we could all be excited about, except for Kale, is the <laughs> announcement of a season two of Punisher. Uh, the Punisher mm. was so well received that Marvel has gone ahead and announced the season two way ahead of schedule. Not, it's like really quick. Yeah, not that it's any great surprise to anyone, but uh, on December 12th, they did tweet out, time to reload, Marvel's The Punisher will return for season two on Netflix, uh, with an image of the Punisher symbol, and, One patch, and two that's patch, about it. So, penny and dime. Who the fuck is ready for a season two of Punisher? All right, now that you've blown out someone's ears, <laughs> did you see how he had to back up all the way across the room to do that? I backed up like a solid foot. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, this isn't really any, this isn't a surprise, there's not a lot to say, just a great show that's going to get a season two. I think, I think, yeah, fuck yeah. I think the surprise is, is that it, the announcement came so quick. Yeah. I think, you know, like, even I expected it based on all of your reactions, um, but the fact that it came out, like, two weeks after the season premiered, like, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. And uh, very worthy. As I've said, this is now my favorite Netflix show from Marvel. So a season two is, is, I mean, I can't imagine it not being right up there in quality. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, in the the episode where we talked about it, Phil and I both put it at our number two. I think Marco said it was his favorite as well. So um, we were overwhelmingly positive about Punisher. So yeah, I'm... I'm all about a season two, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, and then also we got a trailer for another season two over at Netflix. Uh, we got a trailer for Jessica Jones. It's about fucking time. <laughs> yep. Very, a very short one minute long sort of teaser. Just giving us the, the date March 8th uh, for the show and some story beats and some cool shots of, Jessica being Jessica. So, uh, any thoughts on this one? I mean, it was it was a pretty by the numbers teaser. You know, like there really wasn't too much to it. Um, but I, I mean, I love Jessica Jones, and I've been waiting what two years now for season two. So yeah, like 
I'm sold. You know, they didn't really need to give me much. Hope for the best. I think that this has the potential to eclipse season one, especially if they learn some lessons. I was, I'm, I'm one of the bigger fans probably of the first season. Me too. And so if it does what that season did without some of the lulls, I don't see why it can't be one of Netflix's greats. Yeah, that's all I ask for is more consistency. Yep. Yeah, I, I do think that's kind of the, the first season's major flaw is that the, the main plot is really well executed, but they deviate from it for like just a little too long. Um, so yeah, let's let's hope that they learn from those mistakes. But I mean, like, Jessica Jones was great, and like Kristen Ritter is great as her. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely about it. I love her supporting cast as well. And uh, the one thing I will say about the trailer was I did really like their choice of music. I thought Heart was a good uh, a good pick for Jessica Jones. If they weren't gonna do like you know Joan Jet or something, like Heart's the way to go. Yeah, it was good. Nice little teaser. Yeah, yeah. So, very very much looking forward to it. Me too. So. Uh, as we alluded to earlier, the Disney Fox deal has gone through. Uh, Disney purchased a large chunk of 21st Century Fox for $52.4 billion. Billion dollars. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it's a massive acquisition. Yeah. So... You know, we talked about it a lot last week, um, and, uh, you know, we're going to talk about it more here because this is a massive deal that has the potential to change the entertainment industry as we know it. Um, so let's hit on some of the bigger the bigger um, points. Now, Disney has a majority stake in Hulu. That's which, the one that's the most interesting to me. Yeah. So uh, that, that means – sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, so, like, surely this is what they'll use for their streaming service, right? Like, I don't think not so. Not necessarily, man. It's interesting because they have controlling stake in Hulu, but, like, there's still 40%, I think, of the company that's in other people's hands. And, like, I think this is either going to mean they're going to use Hulu and leverage it until they launch their streaming service, or they're going to find a way to buy that remaining 40% and just make this their streaming service. But I don't know that they're going to go that route. And if all the other people pull out, like, this might just mean the death of Hulu. I don't I don't see Disney using Hulu as its streaming service because they have plans to launch two different ones. One that's exclusively for Disney film and television content, and then one that's for sports. So they have a need to launch, even with this, at least one brand new one for the sports. And then also, they're going to want a place where people can go to find all of the Disney content and not have to worry about someone else having say in what they do with their streaming service. Yeah, and I think you're right there. And But that's the thing is like – I don't know. It's interesting, right? Because they said in their statement about Hulu that they plan to use Hulu to start delivering people and leveraging their sports content. So like I don't know, man. Like I wonder if they don't just put some more muscle in and buy Hulu instead of like going through the infrastructural work of creating something new. 
Like, if they just put all their shit on Hulu, force the other remaining 40% of people out because they're like, hey, I don't want to feed into Disney's streaming service and buy the remaining shares, that would probably be an easier transition for them to just make Hulu their destination place, undercut Netflix and be like, hey, for eight bucks, you get sports and this, or you get eight bucks, you get all the TV shows, another four bucks, you get the sports. Because a lot of financial analysts are saying that NBC Universal and Warner Brothers are going to are going to sell off their uh, shares of Hulu to uh, Disney. So, I mean, it only it only contributes to that fact. Uh, the, the reality is here that um, this acquisition is extremely alarming because the only thing Fox owns for Fox now is the broadcasting channel Fox. Because there was an SEC law passed 20 years ago saying that no two, no company can own two major broadcasting channels. So, with that said, it's very likely that... That's also, like, one of the most profitable parts of their, like, business. Yeah, but they were so, never they never wanted to get rid of that. Yeah, they wanted to save that. But a lot of these analysts are saying that it's probable that that network is going to, you know, start declining because uh the lack of money behind it. Because... um. Let me see how they phrased it here. I have an article up in front of me. Um, yeah, so the a big part of where they get the money from is sports, like uh, the NFL, things like that. If you know, if Fox can't contribute the same money as before to broadcast NFL games, then mm-hmm. they're going to lose more money, and it's very possible that that channel just might go away and become something else. Yeah, and I I think. There's a really good chance that we see Disney start to kind of monopolize sports broadcasting because they own ESPN and Fox Sports now, and there aren't that many non-those company outlets. Do they for own like, Fox Sports? Yeah, they did. That was part of the deal. The yeah. only part of uh, – of like, like you said, the only thing that they didn't acquire from Fox that is like content creation is their like news yeah. you know, uh, conglomerate. But yeah, Fox Fox Sports was part of the acquisition. So, I mean, like any monopoly, the big problem is that they now have the complete monopoly on how to pay their employees. Uh, this completely strong arms any kind of labor union that Disney has because they have so much power and wealth because there's no competition to compete against as much. Uh, and so this is only going to hurt the working middle class further, which is already a huge problem in 2017 as it is with a massive decline of labor in the last 40 years. And just from a creativity outlet, if you only have one company that's making, what, 60% of what comes out in theaters, that creates a creativity lull as well. There's This this type of deal should have been blocked. This should have been... There, it, it still can be. Yeah, I know. And there's been apparently a lot of... Uh, governmental research involved, but I don't see that as likely to happen because there's no real... Pre- Look at the AOL Time Warner merger or ExxonMobil. Uh, the reality is the U.S. federal government doesn't really care about this stuff anymore, and they haven't for 40 years. No, and uh, it's interesting. It's interesting, though, man, because, like, I do think that um, some of the conversations around this stuff are very, like, they're not they're not very intelligent. Like, I don't mean to say that to be, like, dismissive, but, like, I think... Some of the concerns about, oh, Disney having a creative monopoly, like, some of them are overblown. Like, I I expressed those concerns last week. I do agree with you. I don't think this deal should have happened. But 
the how many people I've seen being like, oh no, they're gonna Disney-fy all this Fox shit. Like Disney owns so many things that you don't even fucking realize. They owned Miramax for 13 years. They they were the the company that published every one of Quentin Tarantino's major movies until 2013. They own they were they put their they unofficially put their stamp on clerks. You know, like you're not going to not get the same diversity of product. You're going to still get the same kind of Fox films. It's just all the money is going to Disney. And I, I don't think it's a problem of like a creative drain. It's that like this gives them more of a strong arm on an industry that they already controlled nearly 50% of. Absolutely. I, I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's transparent to disparage a creative role because when parent company having such a monopoly on creating content is inherently problematic because uh it just intrinsically it will lead to less risk from a studio standpoint you know what i mean which is already i think I, a problem i think that's only gonna get worse so- yeah, I, I do know what you mean. I just don't agree that it will get worse. I think the problem is already at pretty much peak terrible. And I, I don't think like I just I think the issue is that in general, I agree with you. I think Disney is an outlier here because Disney is in the business of making money from whoever they can make money from. And if there is money to be made in making R-rated films under the Fox banner that doesn't affect the Disney banner or or however they decide to do it, like Touchstone Pictures. Why does Touchstone Pictures exist? So they can put out R-rated movies and not put the Disney name on oh, I know. like i i think that that specific wrinkle in the conversation is being overblown um but you're you're right the fact that like there are only three companies that can afford to make blockbuster movies is a fucking problem yeah. and i i don't think it's a problem because there's going to be a creative drain i think it's a problem because if they don't want to make a specific kind of movie well who else even can now? exactly that's the yeah problem. this this is it only makes it more difficult for indie filmmakers to make films. Yes. And it makes it makes it more difficult for there to be another company to come up and compete. And, and, you know, and be like Yeah, right. Like when you see like um I forget the name of the company, but the the people that worked on Get Out, they're like that horror company that popped up right. from paranormal activity. Like it becomes more and more impossible for a company like that to scratch their way into the mainstream and create films that will actually be seen by mass audiences. This is like further putting the film industry in the hands of a, of a much smaller group of people. And that's a problem. That's bad. No, everything about this is terrible. The only silver lining, honestly, is that, you know, the Marvel characters that Fox had the, uh, the distribution rights of, are now back to Disney. That I mean, that's fine. That's a silver lining, but really, that's. A- I think you can also argue Fox doesn't do a great job of handling their IP. There are several IP that they own that are like significant, relevant American pieces of of art that they don't handle very well. That Disney will arguably handle better. And it's like again, I'm not happy about it. But if you're looking for silver linings, like. You know, they're probably going to stop letting Ridley Scott make alien movies. That's a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, we might actually get a decent alien movie for the first time in 30 years. Like, that would be cool. I love Alien. But, no, just having one company have a massive monopoly over entertainment labor, that's going to cripple people's lives. Also, just, like, culture. Like, that's the thing, is that they have a monopoly on our culture. Disney owns most of the most relevant American creations of all time right now. <laughs> like, this is, and that's, this is bad. It's, 
It's problematic. All right, let's move on from the doom and gloom and talk about the fun parts. Uh, so everyone assumes that Disney will now own the Fantastic Four. And that might not necessarily be the case because a German production company called Konstantin Film owns the production rights to the Fantastic Four characters. It's pretty cool. Which <laughs> is fascinating. So Fox gets to use the characters, but they don't... Well, Constantine has the movie rights. Um, but and, and so Fox gets to use the characters, but only if Constantine is involved. So now that Disney has purchased Fox... Will that deal transfer over? Will Constantine want to play ball? Or do the Fantastic Four just continue to languish? It's a really interesting uh, issue. I, I don't know. Like, of course they're going to play ball. Like, if I, I've never heard of this company. What else do they even own? Like, they there's a huge chance. I mean, like, I, I, that's ignorant. I'm, they probably have other holdings or whatever. But it's the thing of, like, why wouldn't you play ball? If, if the entire thing is we own the production rights to this and we're letting Fox use them because it makes us money, a successful movie made by Disney will make them more money, I would imagine. So why would they why would they be like, nah, you can't do it. No, nah, we don't want to make money. So the story with this is that uh, Marvel sold the rights to the Fantastic Four films or, or uh, the film rights to the characters in 1986 and – um, they tried to make a crappy movie that never saw the light of day, um, in fears at least. Um, and then they made a deal with Fox. Uh, so that's how Fox has been able to make Fantastic Four films this entire time. Um, whether or not they do play ball remains to be seen, but I think Pete's probably right in that it's it's likely. Uh, so... There are a ton of questions about how about how this whole situation is going to unfold as far as how are the X-Men and Fantastic Four going to be integrated into the MCU? Will they even be integrated into the MCU? Um, and so, to be honest, I feel like we don't really have concrete answers as to how this is going to take place. So, during a conference call, uh, Bob Eager said the following. We're, look, we're also looking forward to expanding the Marvel Cinematic Universe to include X-Men, Fantastic Four, and Deadpool. So, it seems like that means that they're just going to bake them in. However, are they baking them in the way they are? Are they rebooting them? How is that going to work? They haven't really said I, I saw an article just this morning that's, that Bob Iger said that uh, Deadpool would remain rated R. Right, yes. So he said that uh, they want to keep making movies, and there he, he literally said, there may be an opportunity for an R-rated Marvel brand as long as we let audiences know what's coming. So that says Suck to it, me, Disney haters. That says to <laughs> me that there's a willingness on their part to make R-rated movies, uh, which is great. Yeah, they've said as much. Yeah. 
Um, I think it's going to be a case-by-case thing. I feel like they're going to reboot Fantastic Four because there are no good Fantastic Four movies. So that makes um, sense. The Incredibles. <clears throat> oh, you mean Ayn Rand for kids? That's that's a that's a Disney property. So, um, so I I think it's a safe bet to say Fantastic Four gets a reboot. I think it would make sense for them to reboot X Men because it's like the really successful X Men franchise, like kind of ended, you know, like and the new stuff. Like, First Class was really good, but, you know, Apocalypse left a bad taste in people's mouths. We'll see what happens with the new, you know, with the Phoenix movie. But I feel like there's a natural... It, it would make sense for, for for me, for them to reboot that as well. Deadpool's the one character where I feel like you could make a Deadpool 3, set it in the MCU, and play up the fact that he is a fourth wall breaking meme and just keep that fucking ball rolling, you know? Like... I don't think that they're going to be like, oh, Deadpool's a fucking Avenger now. Like, you know, like that's not how I see them playing the character. Like if they are going to do this R-rated line of movies, like they'll probably be a little removed from the MCU like the TV stuff is. So I don't see why you couldn't just pick up with Ryan Reynolds and make some kind of a joke and, okay, he's in the MCU now. That seems simple enough. Uh, It's just interesting because there are so many ways that you can play this. And oh, yeah. It, it, it appears to me that they, they are definitely aware um, of that fact. And so they talked, they talked a little bit about this and also about how many movies they'll actually be trying to put out every year and how much of the Fox slate they want to put out. So Bob Iger had this to say. We've obviously done extremely well with the less is more strategy and making just tentpole films. Not all of them are franchises. Fox has done some interesting tentpole opportunities, and we're going to continue to support that. What they did with Avatar and with Deadpool, X-Men, Fantastic Four, Planet of the Apes will stay in that business. None oh, of I it, forgot they own Planet of the Apes now, too. Fuck. None of it will Sorry. really be branded differently than how it's branded today. How much we will create from that banner is still uncertain. It's going to take a while from a regulatory perspective to continue to develop in that time. In such time as we close this deal and really work carefully at what their slate looks like going forward and how many movies it makes sense to make. Mm. Lots of questions. Not a lot of answers. Especially because it's so up in the air. Like the deal's not even going to be done for another year and there are movies planned out until what, 2019, 2020? It's like there's so – like New Mutants is still going to come out and everything, right? So it's like – it might be a while before we see what the actual fallout from this deal is going to be, you know, as it as it you know matters to us as fans of comic book movies or whatever. Well, New Mutants was supposed to be a trilogy, and so we're definitely getting the first one. That's a no brainer. But right. the second and third are now very much up in the air. Yeah, probably not. Right? Like, <laughs> it, I mean, if it does super well, maybe they give it the Deadpool treatment. That's a good um, point. Yeah. X-Men Dark Phoenix is a two-parter. So the first part comes out next year. How do they deal with the future of that? Totally depends on how it does, I think. Like, if it flops, like, are they going to put the effort into making another one when they could just stop and do something else? I That's the thing, too, is that if they don't stop, then when do we see the cross-pollination between the MCU and the X-Men. 
I think it's going to be a while. Like, I think if they don't stop, it'll be sooner, and they'll find a way to just loop them in. I think if it is bad and they're like, hey, we're going to moonlight the Fox X-Men stuff, they're going to have to give us a couple years of space, you know, to, like, to signal to, like, you know, normies that it's like, oh, hey, like, I know you know that there are X-Men movies. These, This is, it's still the X-Men, but it's a different group of X-Men, and this is an hour, like, the same thing they did had to do with Spider-Man. They didn't you know, do like, with Spider-Man. They didn't, like, well, there was a break. Like, well, Amazing Spider-Man 2 was in, what, 2013? 14? Uh, I mean, that's not that long of a break. Yeah. I mean, in movies it is. Like, three years? No, like, it's... Not really. No, I mean... They got they got the rights. They put him in Civil War, and two years later, he was in his own movie. To yeah. me, that's yeah. But it, but again, like how long ago was Amazing Spider Man? Uh, like Amazing Spider Man Two came out 20, in twenty fourteen. Yeah, so, so that's three years. Like that's what I'm saying. Like I'm not saying it's gonna be fucking five years, but three years is that's like a pretty long time. But you're 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 implying that it was a calculated thing, and I don't think it was. I think they got the rights. They put him in Civil War, then they made a movie. So. Stan Lee had something to say about all this. Sorry, who? Stan Lee. Stan Lee who? Nice, I was about to make that joke. <laughs> Fail. Um, now, Stan Lee happens to be one of the only people who predicted that this would happen. That's true. <laughs> so, Well, Stan Lee and are... the Simpsons. Oh, God. These are his comments uh, to Newsarama about the deal. A truly great piece of news. Now characters such as the X-Men and the Fantastic Four can come home to the place where they belong. It's vitally important to have the Marvel characters under one roof. And now, as great as they were before, I can't wait to see the wonders that will unfold. That's great. Uh, And I'm totally there with him. But what's fantastic about this is that he really... (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, he very recently said that he thought Marvel would pull this off. Um, and I, I mean, I said it wouldn't happen for five years. So I, Stanley yeah, for, ahead of the curve for me, when they got, you know, whatever deal they pulled with Sony to get Spider-Man, I, I don't know. I, I saw that as being probably, probably the end of that situation. See, I was kind of with Sean where it's like as long as the X-Men movies make money, they're going to keep making them and we'll never we'll never see it happen, but I never in a million years thought Disney would buy 21st Century Fox. So Yeah, I didn't think I didn't think they would go around get around that and just be like, "You know what? Let's just buy Fox." You don't want to give us our characters. Fuck it. 54 billion dollars. Give me the X-Men and Fantastic Four and I'll take Simpsons and fucking Always Sunny while we're at it. Let's do it. I th- and, and something that's another thing that's really interesting about this is, you know, Fox's room uh, was owned by uh, Rupert Murdoch, and I was watching the news here, and, and they were talking about how Rupert Murdoch, you know, started con- conglomerating, you know, in like the fifties and sixties. He's a monster, and he he's, uh, he's not even good at it. <laughs> well, I mean, that's uh, arguable. I, no, he, he he was very good at it. Yeah, he has it, so he can't be that bad at it. Uh, but like every everyone that they spoke to, even like old industry people and people who worked alongside Murdoch, said that like his whole goal was to have this 
empire for his children, and he just sold it. So yeah, like, because he's a fucking reptile, and all he cares about is money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> besides that, like, what's going on with Rupert Murdoch? Who gives but, a I mean, fuck? That's, well, he should that's, fuck off for life. That's that's probably oh, what goodness. it is. Like, well, the whole thing was that. You know, I don't want to get too far into the business thing, but, uh, you know, it, it was the the reality of it is like the thing I just said, like, I didn't come up with that. Like the board forced this. The board? They don't vote. That explains a lot. It does explain a lot. Right, let's just move on. <laughs> a, a number of uh, actors and creators have, have come out to talk about uh, this deal. And one of the people who had something to say was James Gunn uh, who I was personally very excited to see what his reaction to this would be uh, and so he tweeted out while there are many aspects to Disney's acquisition of 21st Century Fox's assets I am personally incredibly happy about it for obvious reasons welcome home old friends and he uh, attached uh, an image to that um, and and so I, I I'm super excited for him because he's got Silver Surfer. Man, if he made a Fantastic Four movie, like that would be legit as hell. I'd be about it. Yeah, he's real good at making family movies set in space. So <laughs> he said he said uh, I was thinking more about like you know the Silver Surfer, but this is a valid point as well, referring to uh, Judd Apatow and him kind of raining on James Gunn's parade. Um, but so obviously James Gunn, one of the directors, very excited. Uh, also interested is Michael Chiklis, known for playing The Thing in the Fantastic Four films. He tweeted out, uh, could it be clobbering time? Hashtag Disney, hashtag Fantastic Four, with a picture of The Thing punching the Hulk in the face. Bring back Chicklets. Yeah, yes. It was the one good thing about those movies. It was so good is the thing. I'll do it if we're filming on Yancy Street. <laughs> Bring them back. Chicklets as Grimm. Yep. <laughs> I would love it. Uh, hashtag Chicklets for Grimm. I, That's a better hashtag. I, Let's do I it. Do, Let's get it going, guys. I really like the idea of James Gunn having the Silver Surfer. Um, the Silver Surfer has been one of the most underutilized characters on the silver screen. No pun intended. Actually, pun intended. Um, and so to see James Gunn use that character would be very interesting because I fucking love the Silver Surfer. He's probably in my top five favorite characters. Also, just like, I don't know. To me, it's so funny that, like, the things I'm most excited about for them getting the Fantastic Four rights back are all of the things around the Fantastic Four. Like, no shade at them, but, like, I'm way more excited by the, like, the possibility of having the Surfer and Galactus and, like, you know, just being like not having to dance around the scrolls or any of the other stuff. Like, yeah, fuck yeah, dude. There's just so many things that come with the Fantastic Four that are like Doom. Like Doom is to me is way more important. Like he's the best villain Marvel has by a wide fucking margin. A good friend of mine passed away last summer named Mike Smith, and he was a huge Galactus fan, and he always wanted to see Galactus adapted on film, and like a a proper way, as opposed to the Fantastic yeah. Four too. Um, he's a fucking cloud so for like his sake and his memory I'd like to see that as well boy I thought you were going to tell some like shitty story about 
exactly what you just told, but in like a jokey way. And like, I'm really shaken by this genuine and sincere, like, moment <laughs> from Phil. <laughs> yeah. Well, R.E.P., my friend. Rest in peace. Uh, so, Hugh Jackman obviously had. Oh, some he's got to be devastated. It's it's you know I'm just gonna read his I'm just gonna read his words. Uh, he spoke to Collider during a press junket for The Greatest Showman, and this is what he had to say. It's interesting because for the whole 17 years, I kept thinking that it would be so great. Like I would love to see, particularly Iron Man and the Hulk and Wolverine together. And every time I saw an Avengers movie, I could just see Wolverine in the middle of all of them, like punching them all on the head. But it was like, <laughs> oh well, that's not gonna happen. And it was interesting just when I first saw that headline. It was just the possibility of it, and who knows what's going to happen, obviously. I was like, hang on. But I think, unfortunately, the ship has sailed for me. But for someone else, I would like to see Wolverine in there. Yeah, I, you know, I know, like, there was that rumor forever ago that he's like, I'd only come back if I could be in Avengers. But, like, I feel like Old Man Logan was like, that That should be the last time he plays the character. It was such a good send-off. Like, let's get a new Wolverine for the new MCU, you know? I th- yeah, I think if Don they... Ham. You know? Uh, I think if they had... He's, he's, <laughs> he's too tall. Uh, so I think uh, if, they, if they had done it before Old Man Logan, I think I think he probably would have. Uh, yeah, yeah I, think, I think this is... Yeah, he probably won't. I think Hugh Jackman's body is just like, oh, thank God this is over, because playing this character <laughs> is the most physically taxing thing of all time. <laughs> I'm way too old to be this jacked. Like, I can't handle it anymore. I, I mean, it's bittersweet. Um, I, I'm not the biggest fan ever of Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. Uh, however, he is the guy when it comes to, uh, comic book films. You know, he's kind of the first icon of those movies. And I really, hmm? Christopher Reeve. Yeah, I, I guess I'm talking about like Your the gen- modern our generation. Of, yeah, yeah, and also it's just like you know, not not to say anything shitty about like Christopher Reeve or any of the other iconic portrayals of superheroes. Like nobody is more identified with a character than like nobody else has played Wolverine. Like he played Wolverine for like 20 years. Like yeah, but I think uh, I'm being semantic. Uh, this is semantics here, but I think Christopher Reeve is extremely identified as Superman to the point where artists. Hey. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But he played him for, you know, four movies, two of which were good, and that was a span of ten, five, five, five to ten years. Right, and that—that's all I'm saying is like, I, this, like Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine for as long as he did is something that's like really unique and really special. And it's like we talked about that in our Logan review. You know, it's a huge part of that movie. Is that like. We've had, like, we were, what, eight years old when we saw him play Wolverine for the first time? Like, that's significant, you know? Like, I would love to see him one more time. Doesn't have to be a fight. Doesn't have to be anything like that. I would just love to see him share the screen with Cap and Iron Man just and Thor just once, and then that's it. Just one time. But it won't happen. But I really, I really wish it, it could. Um, Bub. <laughs> so 
I want to end the Disney Fox talk with some comments from James Mangold, the director of Logan, who obviously has some concerns. Uh, And this is what he had to say. If they're actually changing their mandate, if what they're supposed to do alters, that would be sad to me because it just means less movies. And obviously he's referring to whether or not Marvel will continue to produce Fox's slate of films. I just hope what we end up with is going to be positive in terms of movies. The real thing that happens when you make a movie rated R behind the scenes is that the studio has to adjust to the reality that there will be no happy meals. There will be no action figures. The entire merchandising cross-pollinating side of selling the movie to children is dead before you even start. And when that's dead, it means you're making a grown-up movie. We've now so co-opted this idea that these movies are not really stories, but are merchandise entities. You can't kill the characters because they're worth so much effing money. And uh, so that he makes a great point. Fox, say what you will about them, but in their films, they've they've had... They've been willing... We, we talked about this last week, but they've been willing to do things... In terms of killing characters, in terms of taking characters to really dark places, and et cetera, et cetera, that the MCU hasn't. And so hopefully um, his message is, is, is well received, or at least already in their minds. Correct me if I'm wrong. The only hero killed in the MCU so far is, is uh, Yondu, right? Quicksilver. Okay, Quicksilver and Yondu. Yeah, yeah, Yondu, I mean, a hero in his final moments. Right, right. Uh, Quicksilver, you know, more of a hero, but also was a villain. And then not surprisingly killed off because of the the Disney Fox schism at the time. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, it's one of those things where, like, I, I think people say this shit about R-rated movies. And I'm like, do you not like, remember how much money Deadpool made? And, like... It's easy to say, like, yeah, you can't market the machine to kids, but when he's like, oh, there's no action figures, I'm like, that's not true. There are Deadpool, the movie, action figures that were sold to adult nerds who buy toys, because that's a lot of people. But, like, toys, they're, they're Funko Pops, like, they're, there are ways to merchandise an R-rated superhero movie if you actually just target the core demographic. Deadpool was the exception, not the rule of thumb, at, at least as, as far as the convention of the last 20 years have gone. You're right, but Logan also made a lot more money than we thought it was going I to. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, maybe those movies are changing people's perceptions. That's all I'm trying to say. Is I, I think that that needle has moved because of the way we consume movies and the way that we, like, the way that fandom has evolved is there are a lot more opportunities to monetize an R-rated movie because there are 20, 30, 40-year-old nerds who like Deadpool. And, like, that's Deadpool's demographic. Like, yeah, there are kids that like Deadpool, but, like, the when you, the average Deadpool fan is probably a dude in his late 20s, early 30s. But even, you know, even still, like, there, have, there hasn't been enough opportunity for him to not say that. Like, he's been in the industry, industry yeah. long enough that it's appropriate that that would be his reaction. Also, yeah. let's not forget the struggles that he himself went through to make that movie. So you can't, you just do literally cannot dismiss what he's saying. It's a, it's a valid point coming from somebody who actually lives that life. So 
you know, it, it is what it is. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. De- Deadpool and Old Man Logan do not get made if Disney owns those properties the whole time. Those movies don't come out that way. I don't agree about Deadpool, but that's just an agree to disagree thing. I think you're 100% right about Logan. Even then, think about the cl- think about that movie. That movie is top in most people's minds. It's at least top five comic book films. Deadpool, um, old uh, Logan. Oh yeah, yeah. And to the idea that we wouldn't get that, the idea that that movie almost didn't get made, and then certainly, I, I won't say certainly, probably doesn't get made under Disney. Very unfortunate. Yeah, and that's that's the concern, right? Like that's that's a huge part of the fear of this, for sure. If anything, I think the one thing that might be different is instead of a Deadpool movie, we might have gotten a Deadpool Netflix show. That that might be the alternate timeline. But I don't I don't think we get a non R rated version of Deadpool. I don't think that makes sense. And I, I don't think that uh I know I think it was last week where you said you could see a good PG thirteen Deadpool movie, but I just I don't I don't think that Kevin Feige and Co. would do that. I mean there are literally Deadpool comics that are very successful that are that. That's true. That's true. So now we're going to jump into talking about the movie of the hour, Star Wars, The Last Jedi. All right. So we're going to start our conversation about The Last Jedi the way we do with all the movie reviews that we do. So I want you guys to tell me what you think the Rotten Tomatoes uh, rating will be based on reviews and then the one based on audience score. Now, before we start, has anybody already looked at this? How no. how recent is your uh You're probably looking at it right now, right? Data. Right now, yeah. Okay. Uh I haven't seen it in uh since the movie came out. Okay. Phil, have you have you looked? No, I haven't looked. Alright. So who wants to start? I'll go. Alright, so audience reaction I'm gonna say eighty eight percent. Okay. Uh the aggregate Average for critics, let's say ninety-two percent. All right. I think I'm gonna say ninety-five critics, eighty-five audience. Okay. Since we play by Jeopardy rules, I'm gonna go ninety-six with critics. Answer in the form of a question. And <laughs> what is ninety-six <laughs> for critics? Um, and for. Fans, I'm going to go 85. Wow. All right. Uh, okay, so you guys pretty much nailed the uh, critic score. 93% was the critic score. So you guys were all, okay. you know, in that range. Who, who is, so wait, what did you say, Phil? 92. And you went closest without going over. Now, the audience score, you were all way off. The audience score for Star Wars The Last Jedi is 57%. What? As of this recording. Oh, man. Stupid. So when I I saw it, uh, it was uh, before the, you know, before the movie came out, it was 98% critics, 99% audience. Wow. That's stupid. Uh... This this Star Wars movie has the lowest rating of any like of any episode movie, any of the the the, the eight episode movies. 
Like, I can't believe how many people are being like, it's worse than the prequels. It's like, you're fucking high. Like, you yeah. haven't watched the prequels recently enough if you think that. Like, you're fucking insane. So, let's jump right into the spoiler-free portion. Let's keep this brief. Uh, overall feelings on the film. I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, the first thing I felt leaving it, and I said this to Phil and him and I discussed it privately, was I really feel like I need to see it again. I planned to go see it again last night, but there was a, like a small blizzard in my town and I wasn't about to get snowed in at the movie theater. So I still really feel like I need to see it again before I can really properly like place it on the ranking or any of that kind of stuff. But when the movie succeeds... I think it really succeeds, but I think it has a lot of really small problems that keep it from being great. Um, I think there's way too much humor. Uh, I I thought that it was at least 20 minutes too long. The pacing is pretty problematic, I thought. Um, And I think it really underserves its villains, excluding uh, Kylo Ren. Those are my major criticisms. Um... And I hate how negative I sound about it because I liked the film. But, like, it's it's just tough. There's there's a lot of little issues that we'll get into in, in the spoiler-free stuff or in the spoiler-full stuff. But I think my highest praise of it is that I think um, at its peaks, it, it has some of the strongest scenes from any Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. There's one scene in particular uh, involving Luke that, had me in in tears you know and that is something that like i like i cried when i saw the force awakens but it was because it was like a moment for me of just like seeing that movie was really cathartic because of where i was in my life and it's like very simple message of hope and the good guys win and all that stuff was something that i needed at that moment in my life this movie it that moment made me cry just because it was so well crafted um, and that's something special. So I'm glad the movie takes risks when it does. I just wish that they landed for me more consistently. All right. Uh, Kale? Yeah, I, I echo quite a bit of, uh, Pete's sentiment, um, content-wise, I think. Um, uh, the, for me, like, I, overall, I, it's a great movie. Uh, but it does have some problems. Um, I I liked it a lot. I didn't love it. Uh, <clears throat> it it I think it's I think it's the first real example of a Star Wars film uh, trying something new and and uh, trying and being something by itself, even though it's part of the story. Uh, Standing out, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's the first example of a, a Star Wars movie really standing out, and I think, I think it it works, um, but I think it it definitely has issues that, uh, both help and hinder it. I think so. Okay, Phil, <clears throat> I loved it. I thought it was spectacular. I. I don't know what else is. I didn't really. I thought The Force Awakens was a was a okay movie. It was really paper thin. I thought. I didn't. 
I, it was derivative. Uh, the characters weren't really inspired. This movie rectified a lot of that. The plot was original. The characters were really fleshed out and developed, and their motives were they made them human. Um, it, a lot of it was new. It was really fresh. And the stakes felt like they actually mattered. For me, in The Force Awakens, when the Starkiller base destroys multiple planets, it somehow falls flat, even though multiple planets are destroyed, because they didn't, for me, uh, develop the stakes very well. In this movie, there's nothing like that, but it feels bleak and in a, in a really developed and thoughtful way, and so that it makes, it makes everything all the more meaningful. And I love this movie. Uh... I had a really visceral response in a way that I don't have very often when I go to the movies. Um, it's got to be my top three favorite movies of the year. I loved it. I I agree with everything you just said, Phil. Uh, I loved this movie a lot, a lot. Uh, and for me, it's probably it's it's either my first or second favorite Star Wars movie. Um, wow. This this movie was everything that I was hoping The Force Awakens would be. Um, I think that the I and I like that movie a lot, but I agree with you that it was paper thin. Uh, this movie had depth. Things mattered. Characters' motivations were clear and concise. Uh, there were amazing performances all around. I would say I thought the acting in this movie was very very uh, very good. Um, I I thought. I, <sighs> I love that the focus of the trilogy is shifting from the old characters of the um, of the original trilogy over to the new ones, you know? Um, yeah. And I think that that was important for this movie to establish, and it did that in a major, major way. Um, I came out of this movie loving basically everybody. Whereas with The Force Awakens, I think I liked a lot of the characters. But now I love them. Um, I agree with what Phil said about the stakes. I thought the stakes were high. It felt like Empire Strikes Back, New Hope, Return of the Jedi level of like, this stuff matters. You know? Um, I love where they took a lot of the relationships. Star Wars has always been about relationships between characters. Uh, and I thought that they established and expanded upon the relationships that they did have very well. And they end, they introduced a lot of new characters who felt fully fleshed out in just this movie. So um, hats off to Ryan Johnson, honestly, for a fantastic job, I thought. Um, and it's I'm very surprised, and we'll talk about it more later, but I'm very surprised what the reaction has been to this movie from fans. Boy, the cli- like, and we could just talk about this now. The climax of this film uh, had, like, it's probably the first movie where, like, I could feel, like, the tension, like, in my chest. Like, everything happened at once, and it was all just right there. And, like, when that moment, when it just finally fucking happens, it's like... Oh God! Yeah. Yep. I I don't I don't I don't like totally agree honestly, and I like and I hate that I feel that way. Huh? See that for me that was probably the most powerful moment of of the film. 
And we'll, so we'll, we'll talk about that more in the spoiler section, yeah. I guess. There was a tweet from Priscilla Page, who's a great Twitter, that said, I suspect some folks who didn't like The Last Jedi got too fixated on fan theories after The Force Awakens and they're mad The Last Jedi jettisoned all that and created something more elegant than they imagined. Yeah. Which is, aside from Pete and Kale's opinions, is what I'm hearing a lot of. And we can dive into that a little more thoroughly um, later, but I agree with that assessment in a lot of ways. I don't think that's the only reason why people have problems with the movie. I think there are valid criticisms and concerns that people do have. But living in that world of fan theories, because I'm a super nerd, and I stay on YouTube and read comments and watch these videos that people make... All Star Wars the, theory. All the conversation has been around the theories about certain characters. And the answers we get or didn't get pissed off a lot of people. And awesome. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. But let's I wanna like I wanna jump into that. So let's just give our ratings and then jump into the spoiler talk. Um I'll go first, just cause like like I said, I'm not super confident putting a number on this movie right now. I really think I need more time to chew on it, and I need at least one more viewing. But my gut feeling walking out of it, um, solid B. You know, number, like number, eight, number. Eight, 5 So, yeah, for me, like, I I really, really like The Force Awakens. Um, I have gone... I did, too. I have gone to bat for that, that movie quite a bit. Uh, but for me, The Last Jedi didn't quite live up to that. But only just barely. So for me, like The Force Awakens is a eight point five. Uh, the Last Jedi is probably eight eight point three. Phil, Force Awakens for me is like a seven and a half, whereas Last Jedi is like a nine. I I uh, I go nine five. Like yeah. wow. I would even go closer. I would go. I would go closer. I'm not. You know, it's not a ten. It's not perfect, but. To me, this is one of the greatest big blockbuster movies of this kind ever. Um, And I'm so glad that they took risks with this. Um, But yeah, so let's just jump into the spoiler portion. If you haven't seen the movie and you care about spoilers, you want to jump off now. But if you have seen it and you want to hear us talk about it, stick on board. And if you haven't seen it but you don't care, then also stick around. Uh, so here we go. Go ahead, Gil. Luke Skywalker is a whiny ass bitch. What? I, man, through this whole series, like, it's all just been about Luke Skywalker. And, like, the series itself, like, the Skywalkers are born out of immaculate conception. So, like, okay, fine. But, like, where does Luke Skywalker get off? Oh, I hurt my nephew. I just, I guess I better give up and go sulk on an island. Oh, the Jedi are bad because I messed up and I'm the only one. Me, Luke Skywalker, I'm a legend. My life that's, sucks. That's the opposite of what, <sighs> that's what he got from that. Yeah, that's like, yeah, you. that's you completely missing the point of his int- Okay. <laughs> I see no, what you're, you're telling me he didn't, there were multiple students in this academy and he didn't go they after any of them they all died kale they, they were who all said killed that? and the other ones betrayed Wait, him who said that him he said it in the movie we were never we were ne- where was where were the bodies we never saw the they, bodies they, they didn't oh my they're god not, they're not like Alex all Jones. dead they're not all dead 
Some of them also got corrupted, but a lot of yeah, them did die. He the says Knights of that Kylo corrupts several of his students, and the remaining ones all died. So yeah, he failed every child that he took under his wing. He fucking succumbed to the darkness and almost murdered his nephew. Like, all right, so for a half a second, and then he backed so the, off. So the the Luke Skywalker story is actually really good. So the big themes in this movie are letting go of the past. And making mistakes. Uh, Failures. Let me let me be clear. I agree that the story is very good. Well, hold on. I'm, I'm ex- extrapolating on the themes of the movie by relating to the characters. Yeah, the, the, the story is very good. The character sucks ass. That's insane. Let it, go ahead, Phil. Go ahead. Make the <laughs> so point. with Luke Skywalker in this movie, his big theme is that it's, it's the battle between Luke Skywalker the myth and Luke Skywalker the human. Because as a myth, he is larger than life. It, this is this is this is fiction re- reflecting reality. Because in our world, Luke Skywalker is mythical. In that world, he's equally mythical, and that reflects in the climax of the movie, which we'll talk about later. But point is, Luke Skywalker, the man, fell short. He betrayed his nephew, and he let all his kids, all these kids, get murdered essentially, and this led to him exiling himself because he felt like a failure and this feels consistent with luke in the in the original movies because luke is headstrong luke uh is whiny he makes mistakes and he makes a huge mistake here on his like based off like he, he was like where the fuck do i get off with my bravado because i was thinking i'm luke skywalker the myth like he, he like he believed his own hype and he realized he's not and that reflects in the scene where he's talking to Yoda because he still needs guidance as an old man because he's not infallible. Can I just can I just point out also that that's the exact same thing that happened with Yoda that that Yoda failed to see what Vader was becoming and he failed to beat the Emperor so he exiled himself. Yes, it's the same story. And also the the same thing of that. What was Luke's like? What does Luke say to Ray? Right, like he saw this unbelievable power. He didn't fear it. He was believed he was bigger than that because yes. of what he saw. That's what Yoda did. Yoda. That's the entire thing when they bring Anakin back. They're like, oh, we sense this great power in him. Better train him to be one of us. So I was one of those people that criticized the Force Awakens for making Ray kind of a Mary Sue in this movie because of Luke. I think she's much more humanized and. I think that really greatly impacts the story. And in this story that has so much, so many bleak elements, Ray as this naive ray of hope. Uh, oh, I thought it really, was Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> really strengthened her character, Luke's character, by the way they were juxtaposed with one another, and the story of the movie. It was phenomenal. See, I I don't necessarily agree with that assessment of Ray, and I think that's my problem with this. Like, y- like you and and Sean both said that you felt this movie humanized these new main characters and like made you fall in love with them. I like really didn't get that feeling. Like, I I feel like Ray's story doesn't really like go anywhere. It, yeah, it, she is roughly in the same place uh, she was at the end of the Force Awakens. And her con and I also I just don't feel like it's earned. And, like and her conflict is still, you know, Kylo Ren. You yeah, know, well, it's, and it's, that's the story. Right. The story is how Kylo Ren and Ray play off each other. Because right. even even Snoke says like, "Oh, 
with the way the balance of the forest works, I knew that when you would get strong, Kyle Ren, that there would be a, like a, a a force that would counteract you, the yin and yang thing, and that's Ray. And what's great about Ray's story in this movie is that she thought she had some there there was some greatness to her, her destiny, right? And mm-hmm. her parents are nobodies, and that's perfect. And that's why all these fanboys got so pissed off because it's like feathers ruffled, and it's like no, Ray comes from humble roots, and she is so stubborn in believing that there's good in everybody. Like Luke was. Luke knew there was goodness in his father. She knew. She thinks there's got to be goodness in Ben. And it completely humanizes her. And it, in the way it ties her and Ben together, it sets up a great finale to this story. But also, but also though, she does have the sto- her story here. In addition, is that. She doesn't. She's trying to find out what where she belongs. You know? Right. That's, and where does she, she figure? She searches through the dark side of the force. She goes that was through awesome. that hole, and she wants to know who her parents are. She wants to know what her lineage is because she thinks that that matters. And then it's revealed to her that it doesn't. All she sees is herself. She and is the universe. secret ingredient <laughs> in this universe of Skywalkers, right? She is a nobody. And this this movie had to shed all of the past. In order for Star Wars to move forward, it cannot be about the Skywalkers. Absolutely. And her story is the exact opposite of Luke's. She has no lineage. Which She's, is what makes Kylo what? Ren so interesting, because his motive was, after he killed Snoke, is to fucking hell with the Jedi, with the Sith, with the Rebels, with the Empire, the First Order. Let's just move beyond that. So, like, that's the whole problem, though. That, that's like, what makes... Sorry, go on. Can I make my point? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What you guys are describing, it's not Ray's story. It's Kylo's. Like, it's and Kylo it, it's and still, Ray. Yeah, but, like, but like Ray is almost inconsequential. Like, she's important as a figure in the story, but I don't feel like it's hers. I don't feel like she has the... And, like, it's fine if you disagree. I'm saying this is how I felt. Is that, like, I feel like the entire point is we need to kill the past. We need to move on. But, like... Who's the fucking conduit for that change? A fucking Skywalker. Like, not in name, but, like, he's Ben Solo, sure. But, like, he's still a bastion of the old. And, like, I just, I don't really feel like, I feel like it says one thing, but I don't feel as though we earned getting there. Like, that's where the movie ends, and that's where it's going to be in episode nine. But I just don't, I never felt like, I never felt the connection to Ray's place in the story as much as I felt like I needed to. I th- I I feel like at at the end of the day, like the Star Wars episode set of films, they're Skywalker stories. So yeah. like I you know I I kind of think maybe that's how it's supposed to be. You know, we lose we lose we lose Luke, and the perspective you know sort of shifts to Kylo. It ships to Ray because, as Luke said in the final confrontation, I'm not the last Jedi, and it scene changes immediately to Ray. This is Ray's story, and that's the irony about Ben Solo is that he's trying to bring an end to all this, but he's a Solo, he's a Skywalker. That's the great irony of his character. He can't get rid of the past, and right? He, and, and that's that, sorry, that's ahead, that's what I'm getting at. He is a Skywalker, so this story will it will be about him. 
And and that is, but again, that's the beauty of Star Wars because Star Wars is about the Skywalkers, yes, but it's also about the Force. It's about the dark side and the light side. And we have seen, right? This is the third saga. So the first saga, if you go in order of Episode One to to now, Episode One through Three was the story of Anakin going from being a good kid to an evil bastard, right? Episode or the, Not the try next spinning. That's a good trick. <laughs> the next set. <laughs> is about his redemption through his son, right? His son being this this embodiment of good who won't let his father... Rejecting the darkness. Right. This set of movies is about Kylo Ren not being able to let go of the sins of his parents, the sins of his, of his lineage, and Rey being this element of good, pure good, who is not going to allow him to fall to the dark side. But she's also not going to allow him to destroy all the good that's in the world. She is that ray of hope. And if he's not going to succumb to that, then she has to kill him. And that is, that's brilliant. But so my issue is, though, is I don't feel like Ray feels like a character. Like, I feel like Ray feels like representative of what her role is in the story. Like, I... I buy Luke Skywalker's journey and his ascent to relevance. I don't with Ray. Like Ray shows up, she's supposed to be this nobody from nowhere and nothing. Well, then why is she so fucking powerful? Why is she so I mean, attuned to the Force? Because some why people are just so like that. Able... Why was Anakin? Yeah, but why was Anakin? But, but Anakin still needed to be trained. Like I mean, Anakin so does was she. a powerful kid. But she doesn't. Like, she gets trained by Luke, but she gets three lessons from Luke. Like, we see when he goes to Dagobah to train with Yoda, Luke's there for, like, what is supposed to seemingly be a decent amount of time. I, I mean, and I, I, that's a that's a whole different conversation, but I wholly disagree with that. The, the movie addresses it because in the same way Leia is able to, like, float back to the ship. The, this is the whole point of Yoda in Episode 5 and Episode 8 is that the Force isn't just guys with light, light, lightsabers it's it, it it's 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 more mystical than that and because of kylo ren's presence and the diminishing presence of luke skywalker and and snoke there needed to be a balance to it and ray has this on 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 an ending source of 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 power that comes from the force and she doesn't know how to harness it. That's like her own thing. She's intimidated by it. But like at the same time, she embraces it. She goes through the hole in the in the ground to, you know, have this fifth dimensional experience in the mirror, which was amazing. Um, that's that's her, that's her, that's her role. Is that she you're, she's the balance. You're, you're right, but I I still feel like she feels like a Mary Sue. Like I like I don't like why is she the balance? Because there needed to be a balance. Okay, but that, like I mean, you could, you you I I could understand not liking that. But that's Star Wars. That's yeah. that's yeah. that's like literally I, yeah, I think just that's what a, Star that's Wars is. That's a bullshit is. argument. I mean, that's fine, but like, I don't, I don't think so because it's just like well, I, I mean, think like yeah, you, you look wouldn't. at. <laughs> God, <Thanks. Kale. laughs> go ahead, Pete. Never mind. No, go ahead. Ooh. The reason that it it bothers me is like I I get what you're saying. Like it's all presented that way and sure, if that's the story, that's the story. But it like why? Like I just don't I don't feel like there's a natural through line for her to go from where we meet her to where she is. Like that's where the character has progressed to and that's fine, but like I don't know. It's just like, what are the stakes for her? 
that it's just that she's representative of good because she is. She's able to challenge the darkness and not be tempted by it because she's so good. I think she was tempted. But like, but not really. Like, I don't know. Like, she goes to the dark side. She goes there for answers. She doesn't get answers. She's like, okay, fine, cool. I'm good. I mean, but couldn't you say the same about Luke? No, because in two, he goes through the thing. He sees the evil within him because of his father, because of his lineage, because of the potential for evil within him. And then what's the the pickup of episode nine? He is flirting with the darkness. He shows up dressed in all black. He threatens people with six. Sorry. Thank you. He threatens people with violence. That is Luke flirting with darkness and he only overcomes and rejects the darkness truly when he fights his father and sees the good in him and finds that redemption for him ray doesn't do that like she just she just chooses well i won't let you down because i'm the ray of hope and i'm pure good and i get it there's yin yang there needs to be the counterpoint but why is she so good why is she so pure i don't understand why i uh, well i i think it's because she doesn't have that skywalker baggage you know, like Luke is tempted by his father. He's tempted by that dark side. Like, you know, at the, you know, by the end of eight, no, by the end of five, Vader is, you know, he finds out Vader is his father. So is he supposed to follow in his father's footsteps and turn to the dark That's side? That's the question. That's the thing. And there's no question for Ray. And that bothers me. I, I think this whole movie was a question for Ray. I agree. Like, because she's trying to figure out who her parents are, and by doing that, that's where she flirts with the dark side. Let me just say, Pete, I it's totally, so brief, though. I totally agree with your assessment. If I only look at the Force Awakens, because yes. I think that in that movie, she was very much set up as a character who just existed and was just better than everybody, and that's just what it is. I think this movie added some depth to her. Um, and I think that when you consider the context, and, and, and by the way, it's no mistake that this movie references and deliberately bakes the force into it more than any other Star Wars movie other than the prequels, and they did it really badly. But the Wait. original Star Wars, sorry, go ahead. The, 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 the movie that they really introduced the force in, which is Empire Strikes Back, is the one that does it the best. This movie does it the best since then. They introduced the Force in the first movie. What are you talking about? No, but they explain. Yoda talks about it and like elaborates on it in a way Luke does in this movie. I guess that's true. But Obi Wan has that same conversation too. The whole the Force exists all around us. Sure. It penetrates us. It binds us. Like that's Yoda. That's Yoda's no, line. That's Obi Wan. Obi Wan introduces the Force in A New Hope. That's how Luke is able to use. The, he said he remember use the Force, Luke, and then and then Luke turns off his visor and shoots the Death Star. Pete's right, but. The point that I was trying to make is that this is the movie where we see how the Force works. We see Leia, how she's supposed to die, but she's able to use the Force, or the Force uses her to get her back on the ship and keep her alive because she's needed later. I thought that was I thought that was really weird too. I, I honestly, that's yeah, that was that's it probably was weird. Uh, that, the I loved it. Hardest mo- uh, point for me, like I just because like, I didn't buy that. That, that reminds me of, like, my whole issue with Rey, right? Like, I'm fine with the idea of the Force doesn't belong to the Jedi or the Sith. Cool. You know who's been an example of that forever? Leia. Because she's obviously Force-attuned. But that doesn't mean that she should just, oh, yeah, I'm invincible and I can fly through space. Yeah. She's like, not what? invincible. Like, but for, that, but that's, for, for Leia, it felt, it felt like they wanted to give her something to show that, yes, she is Force-sensitive, she is, and, and very likely she has done a little bit of training with the Force, but uh, it felt, for me, it felt too little too late. We've had, you know, 50 years of Star Wars entertainment. 
uh and you know we're only seeing just now in a film seeing leia use the force or pick up a lightsaber which yeah she didn't still, pick up a lightsaber right, she st- was, that's another problem still hasn't picked up a lightsaber she doesn't know that's not a problem that's a, that's a good thing <laughs> but that's what i'm saying thing. that's what i'm saying we haven't seen that and you you want me to believe that just before well i mean uh, let's let's put it out there before. just before her death she is able to use the force like i just don't I, before I, I, the prequel abominations we never saw yoda pick up a lightsaber because it implied in, in those movies that being in tune with the force didn't mean that you need to wield a lightsaber the, the the surprise of that scene that made it so impactful is someone so little and old all of a sudden is this great jedi master because you sure. don't need a lightsaber to convey that. You're, Just you're, like you're... Snoke doesn't need to convey it. Well, let me finish my thought. And unconsciously, Leia is able to use the Force and it means as, as pure survival. And that it just further illuminates that point from Empire Strikes Back that the Force moves in mysterious ways. It's mystical. And... I, I, I feel like it undercuts that because it, it reminds me a lot of her appearance in Rogue One. Where I'm like, you didn't need to have her turn around and be hope, hope. Like it's it's so on the nose. It feels like it's very much exists there for people that don't really understand or follow Star Wars to be like, oh right, Leia can use the Force. When it's like every other time, it's like, oh Leia, like she gives a look. You know, she has like a moment where she like she realizes that Han dies. Right? She finds Luke at the end of Empire. Like. I know she can use the force. I don't I didn't need to see her fly through space. She she and Kylo Ren have a whole fucking conversation in the force that we we're not privy to. Like I think you guys are are taking her quote unquote use of the force too literally. I don't think it works that way. I think mm. that the force used her. The force worked through her because yeah. the force has a will of its own. She needed to live so she lived because the force needed her to live. They if you look the balance. at sorry, yeah. yeah, exactly, because it needed the balance, right? Yeah. If you look at the first trilogy, there are so many moments where characters should die, and something yeah. happens to save them that doesn't happen in real life. And you could chalk it up to movie magic, but the Star Wars movies use the Force. The Force as is the movie reason. magic. Yeah, exactly, they use the Force yeah. as the reason why characters make it through situations that they shouldn't. It happens all the time in these movies, and this movie this is, is just no so exception. Extreme. I agree. It with was you. so extreme. I agree with you. It took me out of the movie, and it yeah. wasn't until right. after I watched it and I thought more about everything that I had seen that that movie was re- that that scene was redeemed for me. Um, but it took me to see the whole thing for that to happen. So, what was what was the balance there? They needed her to live because if she died, then think think about it. If she dies there, then it's all it's over. over. It's all over she, for the rebellion. Yeah, she has yeah. to live. Because hope hope gets snuffed out because they believe in her. You know, and not it's just like, that, but like if she died, you know that they would have been captured because it was her idea to put everyone on the planet on those pods to that planet that is undetected by the. Everything that no, every, it wasn't. Every that was the that was the purple haired lady's no, idea. No, it was Leia's it was Leia's idea first and the yeah. uh Laura Dern carried it through. Oh, okay. Um I must have missed since, that. since we're talking about the force, I want to talk about how cinematically it was portrayed because it was really, really cool. Yes. Like when Luke is talking to Ray and he's like, reach out and she's like he's like what do you feel and what do you see and she starts talking about everything on the island and like the way the the, the cinematography was done of that was I really that, cool yeah. when Ray's down below the hole and it's like this 
weird fifth dimensional thing where she's like, I should have been afraid, but I wasn't. And it's like, it's like the snapping and everything. Yeah. That was incredible. That was so cool. And the scene where Laura Dern takes the rebel ship and puts it through Snoke's ship and the way that was shot. Oh, that was incredible. That was amazing. That, that, and that's, that's the climax moment I was talking about. Like all of those, all of the different scenes in the film finally came together and ended in that moment. And just like all the tension in my chest, like, oh no, it was incredible. Yeah, I really loved that character. I, I like her arc was really cool. I thought, and um, her her arc, like, yeah, it it's the prime example for me of like this movie, like it made you feel what it wanted you to feel. Like I, yeah, d- exactly. I did not like her until I realized, oh, of course, she's Leia's a like apprentice. Like a yeah. fucking dog. There's a bigger picture here that we don't understand right. because because we're identifying with Poe, who is our POV character of like we gotta go, we gotta yeah. go do something. And it's like well, we are doing something. We'll get there in a second. But the other scene I wanted to talk about was when Luke confronts Kylo Ren on the planet, and the way that was shot, it was very samurai standoffish. Uh, that was amazing. Yeah, what a then, moment. And just the scene where Luke's back on his island at the very end, the way that was shot with the suns, which is Leia's whole point, oh where they're God, like, oh, yeah. what does Leia always say about the sun? That was so good. What did she say? Yeah. And it was Basically, it was like, uh, even though the sun sets, it doesn't mean it's gone or something. It was something to that effect. And when Luke's looking at the sky, there's two suns. And that, but that was also a callback to A New Hope, where he, sees, right. yep. he yeah. sees the two sons. Um, but to your point, Phil, about that, I think that furthers what I was saying about how the Force was used in this movie. The Force is used in this movie more than ever. We see um, Luke astral project. We've ne- I don't. I can't remember a time we've ever seen a character be able to astral project. That was before. cool shit. Astro- Let alone like planets Pl- and planets planet. away. That was crazy. Fucking amazing. And that, to me, that validates what Leia was able to do or what the Force did with Leia earlier in the movie. That validates what Rey's capable of because it shows that the Force will let you do what it needs you to do when it needs you to do it. And if you're attuned to it, you can strengthen yourself, which we, we've seen characters do. But the basis of, like, Anakin, for example, his powers, they knew he was powerful before they even trained him. He won a pod race. Yeah, they knew, they knew what he was before he picked up a lightsaber. And a lot of people had the same reaction that you guys are having to him, with that you guys are having to Ray with him. I mean, I guess it's the maybe, same. but, like, I agree it's the they same, did. but I, I don't remember did. the reaction. You're you're right. My issue though is the difference is like that was him as a kid, and it's like, oh, this kid's so powerful. Okay, yeah, but then he gets trained to be a Jedi. My issue is that Ray is an adult woman. She's supposed to be nineteen, which is too old to get trained. All that stuff, right? I she is nineteen. I did the math. Oh, um, I didn't actually. And know. I yeah, and, that's not the part I was knocking. Oh, okay. Um, and it's just like. It doesn't make sense that she is so powerful that with no training that she's able to keep up with Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren has been a been attuned to the Force this powerful and training for this long, and it's just like she's just as powerful with him because the Force the Force needs her to be. And I just that's hard for if, me to swallow. If we were watching, if we were watching The Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi or whatever, I'm sure 
we were watching it now and having never seen it before. How is Luke so powerful? How does Luke shoot out the Death Star? How does he sure. not get murdered by Vader? How does he like? There's plenty of the Death Star. I won't give you with Vader. You can argue that like, oh, Vader is like holding back, but like you're right. Like it, that's that's fair. That's a fair point. Yeah, that's just Star Wars stuff. Yeah, it's Star Wars stuff. Luke gives into his rage. He channels the dark side to defeat his father. And he only withdraws because he sees that his father's lost his humanity, because he sees the cybernetic implants. And Luke looks at his own hand and sees that too. He sees that he's becoming his father and he has to reject it. Exactly. But that only reinforces Sean's point is that the force moves you in a way it needs you to. Yeah. And and I, I, again, I could understand people saying, ah, that's a cop out. But I can't understand people saying that in the context of Star Wars mythos. Um, but I, I, I do want to jump jump a little bit because there were plenty of side stories and characters who were also important that we haven't yet talked about. Yeah, can I bring something up? Sure. So Phil, Phil made the point earlier when we were talking about Yoda and how episode five does such a good job of introducing Yoda and that like he's so powerful and we know he's powerful even though we never see him do anything except for, you know, like move the X-Wing or whatever, right? Like, we don't see him fight, but we know he's attuned to the Force well, and he's an extra... he hits Luke in the head. Sure. <laughs> um, you made a comparison there to Snoke, and you said we have the same thing with Snoke. I totally disagree. I think Snoke is fucking horrible. Snoke is a shit villain. Like, he accomplishes nothing. He exists in the first movie to be this big, looming threat. We get him in this... I We know nothing about Snoke. Who is Snoke? How did he come I, to power? Have, what were his motivations? Like, I have... I have, also too. I have a lot to say to that. So Snoke represents what this whole movie was about. In Force Awakens, everyone is thinking, who is Snoke? When you see him on the projector, he's larger than life. What the hell is this? How could he how could he have avoided um Palpatine? Where was he at during, you know, um the first trilogy? You know, what are his origins? Who's he related to? Right. Is he Mace Windu? You know? Um so many <laughs> I never heard that one. Oh my god, dude. You, you haven't heard that one? Oh man. <laughs> He's bald. He's obviously Mace Windu. He could have been black. So, um, <laughs> yeah, have you seen that? Have you seen the theory where he's the he's the stormtrooper that got hit in the head by the door? Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. No. So, so all those questions, right? But all related to the past. And this movie was about letting that go. This movie was about clearing up yeah. the mysteries surrounding all of that stuff, saying goodbye. So when Snoke dies, and Kylo is the one that kills him, it's all about that it's about yo it doesn't matter who he was it doesn't matter what his origins were none of that stuff is relevant what's relevant is the now what's relevant is what these characters are enmeshed in he was cocky because of the same thing that happened to luke his arrogance was got the best of him his arrogance over who he thought he was right yeah over whatever his legacy is he's juxtaposed to luke skywalker in that way and the other thing is in the original trilogy no one asks those questions about the emperor no one says who's this guy where did he come from how's he figuring all this like no one's clamoring for a backstory on the emperor but because now there's like this star wars expanded universe people are like well i gotta know how snoke relates to palpatine and like they're tying it to the baggage of the old movies but that that's not even true though because snoke is a new character like palpatine hasn't like it doesn't matter if you don't know his history he does things in the movie snoke does nothing he does nothing he points kylo 
Ren in the direction of the first movie, and then he sits in a chair and pontificates and fucking dies. That's what the like, Emperor did, to too. But... Yeah, but that's what the Emperor did, but the Emperor was actually directly involved in the fucking movie. So was Snoke. Like, Snoke no, he's ma- not. Snoke what did made, Snoke accomplish? Snoke made Ben and, and Rey communicate with one another. He is the head of the entire First Order. He basically directs Hux and Kylo Ren. Like, he's the puppet master of all of this. He, and he was playing Rey and and uh, Kylo against each other. He's like, oh yes, I opened up that communication channel so that you two would interact with each other. I planted those memories. He's like, he's doing all this shit, and Kylo Ren basically betraying his destiny of like, because like the Emperor's uh, the well, exactly. Snoke's like, oh, I know he his his resolve is clear, and he completely twists that on him and kills him. It's to, entirely to Sean's point. It's to completely subvert the expectation of the fans, and it's completely to subvert the history of Star Wars. But. <sighs> Yes, you're right. But in the like, and again, I, I know you guys don't agree with me. But what I'm trying to say here is that to me is the exemplary problem with this movie. Is like that is my problem. It's the same thing with Ray's storyline. It exists to tell you a thing about the story. It exists to be like, hey, this is representative of this. This is how this is supposed to make you. But it's not like it's not satisfying. Like we got it. Snoke is fucking Snoke is Boba Fett. Like, Snoke was built up to be this threat that was not a threat. He was a totally inert villain. In the same way that Sean criticized the Hand for supposed to be being this big major force that ends up being inert and and useless, that's Snoke. Like, he doesn't even have power over Kylo, who's supposed to be his minion or whatever, and it's like, and Kylo, like, rejecting that, he's not even rejecting his destiny. He's playing exactly into the destiny of being a Sith. All Sith are supposed to kill their masters. He did. Uh, so th- they're they're not they're not traditional Sith. Um, he's he's that's what they say. <laughs> uh, and then also the other point is that Snoke. I mean, just echo Phil's sentiments. Snoke set all of that up. He he knew exactly what he was doing. I don't really see how that's different than when the Emperor brought Vader and Luke together, and then the Emperor yeah. died. The Emperor was there as a as a as a story as device a yeah he was he he was he was the puppet master and everything else but he was there as a story device yeah to tell to to bring luke and vader together to give them a reason to team up snoke was the same thing and the reason why snoke died ultimately so early in this trilogy is that it's not about snoke it never was about snoke he was set up but it was all his death was meant to subvert that it's about kylo it's about ray that's what this whole thing's about why do you even need him then? Why did you need the Emperor? Why? Yeah, like why do we need it's Star the same Wars? Thing. <laughs> like I mean, you got if you're telling a story, you got to have a character to push the story forward. Like, yeah, he's a story device. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. That's how but, but, that's but how stories the work. Emperor was too, though. Yeah. I, I don't feel as though the Emperor is a story device. You're right that he's used in the same way, but, like, he's a presence in those films in a way that I don't feel like Snoke ever was. He's not even like, in the first Star Wars movie. He's, he no. was, he's not introduced. And he's barely in. He's in one scene no. of Empire Strikes Back. He's in one scene of the first movie. No, he isn't. He's mentioned. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't Vader have his first conversation no. with him in that movie? No. You know, I can't trust you because you're I, wrong about Obi Wan, but no, I really that, don't know. No, I'm was, not confident. Also, that was still Yoda. That was Yoda's quote. I'm 100 no, sure not. of that. 
I'm you're a thousand percent wrong. Wait, what quote? The thing I said where Obi-Wan says in the first movie when he's teaching Luke you, about penetrates you. That's Yoda. That's not it, and that's not the quote I said. He says to Luke that when he explains the force, he's like, the force is what it's the thing that exists, it penetrates us, it binds us, it it is the force of all living things in the universe. Like that's an Obi-Wan quote. I'll look it up right now. He introduces he Obi-Wan definitely introduces that in A New Hope. And then Luke uses it to bring down the Death Star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the but he but Yoda expands upon it because Obi-Wan only gives you the surface of what the force is. Yoda, the the entire middle act of Empire Strikes Back is what the Force actually is. Let's 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 jump off that and and stick to this movie. Uh, so Finn is a character also who had a story. <laughs> um, Finn is also in this movie. Yes, I, I I'll start. I really loved Finn in this movie. Uh, so they continued kind of his like. I don't really want to be a hero. I kind of want to get the hell away from all of this story um, with him trying to leave and then teaming up with Rose. Uh, by the way, love Rose and Paige, two two characters they introduced that the way this movie starts, we, we totally Paige? Sh- Paige is the girl who uh, is the bomber, the bomber who, who, the who dies. The sister of Rose. Oh, yeah, the sister in the beginning, yeah. right? Okay. I loved the 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 introduction to this movie. It was I thought it was brilliantly done. It got you right into it. Um, which Star yeah, Wars that scene was do. fucking awesome. Yeah, but this one was just so emotional, like it immediately gripping. Um, but Finn's story here, I thought, was a great kind of like counterpunch to Poe's story and then also to Ray's story in a way because Finn is kind of like, listen, I don't want to be involved in any of this. I want to get out of all of this, but then ultimately still ends up being a hero, trying to make the sacrifice play towards the end of the movie where he's ready to kill himself to destroy that big machine. Um, and it gets saved by Rose. And she's like the, the, the best line of the movie. I thought where she's like, it's not about, it's not about dying to fight what you hate. It's about living for what you love. Something to that. Oh to yeah, that yeah. She says. She says we're not gonna win by killing what we hate. We're gonna win by protecting what we love. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought that, that tied Superman everything shit. together. Yeah, that yeah. was beautiful. What did you guys think about um, Finn? So I, I agree with you that I liked Finn's story for the most part. My issue is I don't like that he, uh, similar to Ray, I feel like he starts the movie like in the same place he starts part of his journey in the previous movie. Like, him going to be like, we're fucked, I'm running away. I was kind of like, really, dude? Like, didn't we just go through this whole thing last time? You're really going to abandon the cause? Like, I, I that bothered me. But um, in terms of, like, where he, like, I, I like Finn as the reluctant hero, you know? And I think he fits really comfortably in that role. And um, I think he's a really good, like, audience surrogate. You know, to have that character who is the one who's like, this is fucking dangerous and we're all going to die. You know, like this is, you know, like and really be realistic about some of that stuff and not just be like Poe who's brave and going to run in headfirst to everything or Ray who's this divine, you know, like character with this sense of purpose that's way beyond herself that she can't comprehend. Like Finn is a regular guy who is trying to save his own neck and, and hopefully do the right thing. Yeah, exactly. And and I think he's more the Han of this um of this generation of films than anybody because He's Han without the swag. Sure. 
he's he's like a more awkward Han. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's not as cool, and I like that for this generation of of people. I like that a lot, especially. Um, I also I really like that moment with with him where he meets Rose and she's like treating him like a hero, and he's like, "I'm not a hero," and then he's like, "You know what? I'm a hero." Yep. Okay. <laughs> like, that was a very like Han Solo esque moment, and but so like Finn too. Like not that's totally though. Yeah, yeah, that's Finn, right? Yep. Like that is that's him. Well, I like the he, he, his demeanor changes. He stands up tall and he's like, "Well, yeah," he like starts yep. talking yeah. like a stereotypical he's like, hero. Well, you know. <laughs> Uh, I really, I really liked Ben's story arc. Him and Rose, I liked the way they played off each other. Him abandoning the ship wasn't so much his cowardice, so much as that he was thinking of Ray. He's like, I don't want Ray to come back to this, and like it, it'll be, it's a trap. And yeah. he's worried about his friend, and he's like, this is, this is a suicide. This is suicide being here. I need to protect my friend. I, but even that, I felt like it played in his character because it was all self-preservation, and that's what Finn's about. But then, yeah. but then he meets that guy whose name I cannot DJ. remember. I loved that character. I'm, I'm getting there. Go ahead. All right, go ahead. So they get was that, that. Was that Del Toro? Yeah, yeah. So they get to the planet, and I really love that planet because it really illustrated in a way that I haven't seen in a Star Wars movie before. What the Empire is actually doing to people? These are people who are heavily subjugated. They're oppressed, and it's about what hope really means to people that are oppressed. You see all these military contractors who are just like literal fat cats, basically. Mm-hmm. And Boy. I loved all that, that. What poignant that political, uh, yeah, undertones. Yeah, no kidding. It was like everyone there was like working for Halliburton or something. Yeah. But then DJ shows up, played by Benicio del Toro, and his character was so good. He shines so brightly. And, you know, Finn's like, taking this moral high ground. I was like, how can you just fucking live in the gray so much? And he's like, well, let's see whose ship I stole. And he looks at like the catalog and they, they're making rebel ships too, which shows like the moral ambiguity of this entire war, this entire conflict and why this, the entire motivation of this character is like, it's all gray to me anyway, basically. Yes. And, and sorry, sorry. Yeah, and, go for it. And then when, when he betrays them, and he's like, listen, kid, you just got to look out for yourself because the war you're fighting, you've been fighting, and you're going to continue to fight. It's never going to end. So you might as well just do what's right for you. Finn sees himself in that. I know. And he's like, no, that's not me. And that's why he's solidly on the side of good in the end and willing to die for the cause. And that's so important to this movie. But so was DJ's point, though, because gray jedi gray um force users are a thing and this movie was that this was luke skywalker rejecting both the the jedi and the sith and going gray this was the question of will ray end up on either pole where is kylo gonna end up and this character dj so eloquent eloquently establishes hey all this is bullshit you guys are gonna keep doing this until the end of time we've had three generations of star wars movies where they where he's right and so he presents such an interesting counterpoint to everything that's happening in this film and he was so important and it reinforces how excellently developed all these characters are finn is finn and rose are like that scene early in the movie where rose's sister dies like i knew like even like i knew nothing going into this movie and i'm like this scene's not for nothing her death and her showing of it means something and we were introduced to rose like you this movie does such a great job of developing its characters so that you care about them. That scene fucked me up in the beginning because I was like, isn't 
I was like, isn't Rose supposed to be like a big character? Like, is this it? Yeah. Is this all she does? Yeah. Like, I was like, what? Like, but in um, the same breath, when DJ makes Rose give her give him that medallion, and Finn's like, what the fuck, man? And it's like, here, you can have it back. I just need it so I can get into the ship. Like, yeah. he's not a complete shitbag. He's just a moral relativist shitbag. Yeah, my big problem with him and and Rose both was uh, just like. I wanted more of them and like I felt that way about almost every character in this movie and when the considering the movie is like two and a half hours long and I felt like it was too long um that was something that bothered me of like yeah like I really like Rose I want I want to get a little more out of her or like DJ like DJ's in like three scenes like and he was an awesome character but he just doesn't get much to do he's on like, purpose he does serve his purpose, but I, I like that's kind of like my whole like that's what I've been echoing this entire time is like I wish things did more than just serve their purpose. Like they serve their purpose in the narrative, but I I do I did feel like I I just I wanted a little bit more. I wanted a little bit more. It's so interesting to me that you feel this way because the original Star Wars trilogy is exactly the same. I just I, maybe, maybe I just, that's the problem. But you love it, you know, like but you love it. I but I but but. Like, it's funny because you guys are praising this movie for how much it did differently, but also how many times have we said, well, that's Star Wars. That's what Star Wars does. It, like, I felt that way, too, where there are a lot of scenes that feel like rehashing of old things. But, and, but it, it does it in echoes, whereas Force Awakens was like a rehash. This movie, this yes. movie was echoes of the past, but with such an eye to the future. And it subverted your expectations so often. You thought Snoke was going to end up being this massive deal. And he just dies. You know, like, you thought Ray and Kylo were going to end up getting together, that Ben was going to turn out to be good. And he doesn't. You know? Like, there's I so... I love the way they played that. Yeah. I do want to point that out. The... That was really effective. Yeah. Them, you thinking he's going to have the face turn, and then he's just like, no. Like, that was, I thought, really well executed. I love... See, a lot of times in, in big pop media... It's so easy to see everything coming, but I was, I was so successfully swerved so many times in this movie. Mm-hmm. I thought Leia was dead. I thought Snoke wasn't gonna die. Uh, I didn't think Luke was gonna die either. Uh, I thought Finn was gonna die. I actually like. I was like, with the way yeah. like the way people are falling in this movie, like, you want to be fucking surprised. This yep. movie did such a good job of like bait and switching you. And and um. For me, this movie really came across as the only Star Wars movie that feels like a war film, in the sense that well, oh, it, Rogue One. Rogue One? Uh, no, no, to me that wasn't a war movie. It was about a really? rag. Yeah, it was about a ragtag group of people who are subverting. You know, they're they're resisting, but they're not doing it in a in a. The scale and scope of it wasn't like warlike i guess i feel i feel like this was like more so than rogue one uh this was like us more watching watching them the rebels like in the trenches right and 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 the sacrifices the costs like the the moral questions the scenes on that one planet that phil referenced where you find out that the ship that dj stole that the guy was making was making weapons for both sides that like all right. of that is real life shit yeah you know that holdo yeah. a character who you're supposed to not like 
because she's not going along with Poe, ends up being the real hero of the movie. Yeah. Makes the mm-hmm. sacrifice play. That's what that's what happens in real life. Unsung heroes, you know? Um, and, and and it was so brutal, so many of the deaths, the way that Paige dies in the beginning. Yeah. Like the like it just it felt so <clears throat> warlike and so real and down to earth, even though the movie's definitely not taking place on Earth. To um, reinforce what you're saying, Poe, he's our lens. And when he does things, you're rooting for him 110% because you know he's right. And that's that's like the Star Wars thing where it's like the odds are really stacked against against us here. Never tell me the odds. But we need a hero. And and when but Poe's subverted in the sense that like, come on, man, you're being way too impetuous. Your actions in the beginning, being this hot dog hero, got a lot of people killed. Later, when he stages the uh, the coup, it's like, I know, man, but we had a plan. It's okay. Right, like, and and the fact that the leadership of the resistance is is like is women, and he's just like he's again he's very much that main character, that alpha male type who's he's a like, man of action. Yeah, I'm just gonna go in and shoot somebody, and we're gonna just win because that's what happens. That does not happen, you know. That's not life. Life is people like Holdo, like Leia, making choices that 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 don't that that aren't popular. But that, that, that scene win. with Holdo where she puts him in his place where she's like, yeah, no, I know you. Like, you're the last fucking thing we, we need right now. Yeah. I was like, that was so good. So powerful. But it doesn't, um, it does, at the same time, it doesn't make you dislike Poe. No. No, and I think the thing is, too, when she – like, when they fucking stun him and knock him unconscious to throw him on the plane, they're not like, oh, this fucking traitor. They're like, you know, like, I like him. His heart's in the right place. But yeah. he's a soldier. He's a fucking soldier. And he's not a – He's not a tactician. He's not a leader yet. He might become one one day, but he's a fucking pilot. That's what he does. He goes in and he blows up the bad guy, and he's really fucking good at it. That's how he solves problems. And sometimes you need that guy. You don't need that guy right now. Right. Leia was like that. She's, he, she's, he's like, I need to go out there and shoot something. She's like, go do it. Or like this yeah. where he's like, oh, we got to follow those ice wolves. And everyone turns and looks at Leia. She's like, don't look at me. Follow the man. Yeah, it's right. Like when he's right, he's right. And that's and that's the thing is, you know, like I think it does a good job of tempering rooting for that kind of hero, but realizing the value of that kind of hero, because sometimes you do need a man of action, but sometimes you need the man of action to sit quietly while the smart person tells him where to go. You know, like <laughs> so good. God damn, this movie fucking whipped. I, I agree, man. Um I wish I was as high on it as you guys. I really do. See it again. I think we're 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 reaching the end of this conversation. Um, so yeah, I, can I can I make one last criticism that I want to oh, like throw it out to you guys? Sure, yeah. <laughs> Phil, I just want you to know this is what it feels like to do movie reviews with you. So like, taste your own fucking medicine, homie. <laughs> it's weird, huh? Um, it's weird to be you so, guys right now. <laughs> Yeah, right, to be excited about something and have someone be nitpicky and shit on it the whole time, even though ultimately they pretty much liked it. Yeah, it's it's fucking For the record, I don't actually think you're being nitpicky. Okay, good. I'm glad, because I feel like my criticisms are valid. Yeah. But I, I also They're feel yours. like I'm fucking... Yeah, right. Yeah, and that's the thing is... I, so, the other thing that really bothered me is, like, you know how every time I review a Marvel movie, Phil makes complaints about jokes... I rolled my eyes at so much of the humor in this movie of like, this movie is serious and dark and it's about failure and loss and war. And like, why is there a fucking slapstick bit every other fucking scene? It's weird that Pete walked away from that movie wanting to fuck a porg. (laughs) I mean, not really. Is it? (laughs) 
Um, I'm more of a Chewbacca guy. I want to be cradled in his giant furry yeah, arms. Yeah, so he should have got um, a fucking medal. Yeah, he, he always deserves a medal. But yeah, but like, did, was I the only one who was like, felt that the humor was like a little too much? My girlfriend said that. Um, she felt like there were too many. So the people in our theater were laughing at things that weren't funny, too. Yeah. So I don't know how much of her opinion was based on that. Because there were just random moments where people were laughing. And I was like, this I isn't supposed to be funny. But um, mm. she felt like there were too many too many funny bits i didn't agree. i don't agree i think that um the humor helped to alleviate some of the tension in an extremely tense movie and it yeah. was like it was ebbs and flows man and that's what i loved about it too was that it felt like they were very keen keenly aware of like where the audience would be and it's like all right you guys are feeling this tenseness here's this cute porg right now and it's like ha 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 and you get that laugh and then you're right back into it and it never See, bothered like, me. That kind of shit is fine because that's Star Wars. Like, that I don't have a problem with. It was like, there were just Darth a lot of Ball jokes. Droid. There was a lot of jokes, man. And like, no, like, Darth Ball Droid, like, yeah, he was cute or <laughs> was whatever. Hilarious. Like, fine. Like, he was fine. But like the, it was more like, like the maid service that Luke has. Like... Like those. Like, yeah, how many times do we need to see Ray like fuck fuck something up and then be like, Marr! you know, it's like, or like I don't know, like fucking the scene that Phil called out where Ray's like, oh, like learning about the Force, and Luke does that thing where he like, and it was funny, but he like t- like and then slaps her hand. And I'm just kind of like, really, like doing like I feel like there were so many serious moments that just get undercut by a joke. That was and so like, Yoda Luke though, man. I f- that I was f- so yeah. yeah. I feel I, like I feel that like scene, that actually. that moment worked. But the one immediately before it, where he like milks the cow llama thing, and that was weird. Like that. <laughs> I just like, why are we doing this right now? Like it's and it's not like they didn't. It's not like I didn't find them funny because like I laughed, but it was just kind of like it took me out of moments that were serious sometimes. And you're right. Maybe the maybe the Luke. I was the only uh, person in my theater that bad, actually but... laughed at the scene where he milks the thing. I was laughing my ass off, and no one else was laughing because I was so just... uncomfortable. It was so weird. It was so strange. And I, I don't know, like, uh, I think, like, a good example of it was, like, the um, the thing that you said, like, that um, Leia Poe moment where she's like, we don't always need you to fly in and blow shit up. And he's like, permission to go. F-. Like, that was great. Like, that was a very, like, but I, maybe it's because I expect that from Poe. Like, Poe is the quippy jokester. Like, I don't know, though. I just, I feel like there was just a lot. There was a lot of jokes, like a lot of them. <clears throat> Sometimes, sometimes I guess it depends with the character. Because, like, you're right. I think there were some. I also thought that, and I kind of just let it slide this time, which I don't always do. I think I let it slide. I know, yeah. Because you have an axe to grind about those movies, like. (laughs) Um, but like there was a scene where Ben is fighting Captain Phasma, aka Captain Toy. I, AKA Boba Fett too. I wanted that Biggest disappointment. I wanted that fight so much and I was so disappointed by it. Because yep. it sucked well, and she's fucking a perfect example of what I complained about. It's just like what why does she even exist? Hey she man, does nothing. Hold on, hold on. Force Awakens did the same thing to her though. I said that I hated in that movie too though. That's all I'm saying. I'm not I'm not criticizing this movie for that. I'm criticizing like why does Phasma exist? Tell Phasma twice. exists Yeah, exactly. She's Boba Fett too. Like, she's cool and shit, she does nothing, and she dies like a punk every time. Like, oh, she gets thrown down a fucking shaft! Oh, but she got sucked into space! I bet she's gonna show up in episode 9 just to die like a fucking punk. That'd actually be kind of funny, but... <laughs> <laughs> it would be, but, like, still, it's like, just make her cool! Like, come on, guys! But, um, 
there's the Finn says something about chrome dome to her, like up yours chrome dome or something. Bad, and, bad, <laughs> well, not good. Well, the girls behind me who are like teenagers, they were like up yours chrome dome, and I had to laugh at their reaction to it because <laughs> it was actually really funny. But I let it slide because it feels like something Finn would say. Like I can picture his inner monologue, inner monologue being like. I gotta, I gotta say something real badass to her, and that's the best he comes up <laughs> yeah, with. Exactly. Yeah. That's why I love. But that that's movie. the thing, man. The moment right after that, when he says is actually action movie badass, where she's like, "You've always been scum," and he's like, "Rebel scum," and I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Like that was so good. That was such a cool moment. That's, that's Finn, though. Finn is cool, but also a little bit lame. But yeah, that makes him all the like more endearing. A little dorky. <laughs> so let's let's just wrap up the conversation yeah. with. Um, Can we talk about our favorite scene as our? I didn't talk about my favorite scene. I would love to do that. Can that be our, sure, our wrap up? That. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So my favorite scene is the reunition between Luke and R two. I yeah. that that scene made me cry. I didn't do anything uh, for me. That was so <laughs> so good. Um, I love I love how R two is the one to persuade him by using something from forty years ago. That was beautiful. Yeah. Because like he, he sees himself in Ben, and he sees a, he sees what he used to be. Yep, and that that to me is the most it's the most powerful moment in the movie. Um, I I thought that was so good. Just like how excited he is to see him, and how disappointed R two is that he's not Luke. Yeah, in that moment, you know, and that it's their relationship, their friendship, which is something that's always been a core of Luke. You know, is that he does have a relationship with R two. Luke seals and, the fucking uh, show in this movie. I thought so. I really did. Uh, I, I love Mark Hamill. Like, I'm biased. You know, I love Mark Hamill. Luke Skywalker is one of my childhood heroes. Um, seeing his fall from grace and not a rise and not a, oh, he's a hero again. He's back in tr- him passing the torch and being satisfied with his legacy and what he's done. Like, that was, it was great. It was beautiful. Um, but specifically, like you said, R2 being the one to get him back in the fight and him using Leia to get back in the fight, like, and, like, it was, it was definitely made more powerful me, but for the fact that we lost Carrie Fisher this year, but, like, I cried, I cried in that, in that moment, and it was, like, a very sincerely emotional moment for me, um, and that makes up for, you know, all my problems with the movie, you know, is that when it's, like, when it succeeds, it soars. Um, Kale, do you want to go with your favorite scene? Uh, I, I think mine's got to be uh what I said about you know the the climax point. They oh yeah they they really made it uh so that all of the threads led to this exact moment, and I think it's it's probably the the first time that I've ever seen that pulled off very well because it wasn't you know it wasn't like the phantom menace where it was a lightsaber fight a star battle a ground war it was you know well yeah but like this one executed all of that just so precisely and like it was like i mean the way you know the way the 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 laura dern goes through snoke ship like like I mean, it's like that a needle point, like just a, a a scalpel incision broke the tension, and like it all came crashing down. Like that to me was the most powerful moment. 
Yeah. Uh, you're right. I think that is the most powerful moment in the film. Is that also your favorite film? I don't know. It, it, maybe that. It, it could be the scene where right after Ray and, and, and Ben just fuck up these guards in a really well choreographed scene. Uh, were those the Knights of Ren? See, no, I I, no, I wondered the if they guards. were. I wondered if they were Mandalorians. Oh, oh, because uh, I, I really have no idea. I don't think they, they were Mandalorians. I think they were. Yeah, because yeah, the the Mandalorians are kind of traditional like uh, Empire slash Sith kind of like bodyguards. Yeah, yeah. I, I think mm. they were just like Emperor Palpatine's guards kind of thing i'm pretty sure those but, are mandalorians okay then there, there you go i'm not super well versed in ex- extended universe stuff uh but right after that scene where it's like it's clear that these two who just fought together aren't together like the way that interaction happens where it's like right join me here like we can do this and she's like come on don't do this to me that whole their whole dynamic is really good throughout the whole movie and um they have really good chemistry yeah for sure and that's what that's the big setup for the third one i think is like where 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 are kylo and ray gonna come out of this um and the other scene is this luke's emergence on the sand planet where kylo ren and his classic you know rage orders all these missiles and shit lasers to be fired at luke skywalker and nothing happens and he brushes it off his shoulder and then kylo comes down they have their brief interaction that was so funny too like this that cocky fucking look where he's just like like kylo ren is like are you here to save me are you here to like and he's like no no but then he apologizes i'm sorry i failed you and you know i'm not the last jedi and you see ray and like Finally, he does the Obi-Wan thing, but instead of just disappearing as a force ghost, you know, it's subverted. Kylo goes through him, and he's like, what the fuck? And you find out that Luke fucking astral projected this across time and space. That was so satisfying. It was such a satisfying way to end Luke. Who I'm, I'm assuming is still going to be in episode 9 as a force ghost. I hope so, because, like... I do. I think it was a good moonlight for the character, but I it did also feel like, ooh, I like. I feel like he's got more to accomplish here. He's like, got, I think Ray still needs yeah. his guidance. I yeah. think that's what they'll do. And I think, especially since Carrie Fisher has died, they're going to need that one last like bastion of the old guard. I, I think he's contracted for it too. I also think she's going to be in the movie. Like they have the rights to use her likeness. I think they're going to pull a uh, Tarkin thing and and at least bring her back for a segment to moonlight her out. They're not just going to write her out of the movie. I mean, may, uh, maybe her funeral, I could see, but I I I don't see it. You think it's just going to pick up with her funeral? Yeah, like, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised. I don't think so. Because like for me, but I don't think they're going to kill Leia off screen. For, dudes. for me, like I and I don't I don't think it's going to be that she is gonna like be killed i think i i just think she's gonna die like i like i i think it's you know it'll be a health thing like for me uh you know i looked i looked at jess and i said like she she seems more feeble you know like more more elderly yeah. in this film than she did she in did. force awakens so those were my three favorite scenes how about you sean uh so my favorite scene is definitely the standoff between 
You know what? No. I was going to say the standoff between Kylo and uh, Luke, <clears throat> but it's got to be the, the, the Kylo Ren Ray scene yeah. where yeah. they're together and it's clear that they're not together. That yeah. was devastating. Uh, and so perfectly well done. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, I, I think that to me, that's one of the highlight scenes of the entire Star Wars franchise. Next, you know what I love where, about it too? Next to where Chewie fucks the Porg. Yeah. Uh, you know what else I loved about that too is I really loved that they gave us a big scale lightsaber fight like this and it wasn't like the prequels. Like I like that it still <laughs> felt like a fucking sword fight and that I didn't watch anybody like Well there were stakes. There were actual fucking stakes that made no, me care I about the characters. That. I mean like visually. Like I mean like the fact that I didn't see Ray or Kylo like shoot across the room and do force backflips and all that. Like I hate that shit. It's not like I don't like that at all. Um, and I really like that it felt it felt more grounded. It felt more like a sword fight, like a samurai kind of thing. Well, I know I'm late to the party, but I'm George Lucas, and I really hated that scene because it wasn't like pottery in a way that it, it didn't rhyme because there were no force backflips and stuff. Because to me, that's that's what Star Wars is. And on that note, <laughs> uh, we're gonna wrap this on that up. Note, Jesus Christ. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so hopefully you enjoyed our conversation about Star Wars The Last Jedi. Definitely let us know what you thought about the movie. Obviously very divisive, although I am struggling mightily to understand yeah. how. Um, but uh, there are many ways you can reach reach out to us. You can hit us up on iTunes or your podcast hosting platform of choice, including Stitcher, which we are now on. You can leave us a like while you're at it and a comment. Um... You can get us at the Comics Pals on social media. You can let us know your quick take on Star Wars The Last Jedi there. You can also write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com where we will take your letters. And um, if you don't like The Last Jedi, then Phil will make fun of you, at least. True, true. Um, And then last but not least, of course, we are on YouTube where you can leave us a like. Leave us a comment, subscribe to our channel, and share this video with your friends, which helps us out a lot. So, do all of that, and then listen to these plugs. Pete. Cool. Thank you guys so much again for joining us here on episode 60 of the Comics Pals. Um, Especially if you've been around since the beginning. Thanks for sticking it out with us. Um, If you want to get more from me uh, here at the Pals Network, you can check out me and Sean on the Video Game Pals, which posts every day after the Comics Pals. A very similar show, except, you know, we talk about video game news and all that kind of stuff. Um, You can also catch me on Pals Play with Thompson from the Video Game Pals, where we do Let's Plays Monday through Friday over on our YouTube channel. Um, We've got uh, a couple ongoings right now that are pretty fresh. Doki Doki Literature Club, Super Mario Odyssey. Um, We're still chipping away at Dishonored and Life is Strange. Uh, so definitely go check that stuff out. I would greatly appreciate it. Let us know what you think about it, what games you'd like to see us play, all that fun stuff. And, uh, you can catch the last episode of the Riverdale Review this week before the, uh, mid-season finale. So, um, me, Kale, and Marco jump into, uh, Riverdale every week, usually with a guest. Um, great time. If you're a fan of the show, please go check it out. And if you want to check out, uh, more from me, you can get my writing at CBR.com. I've got an article coming up this week about Finn. Um, from Star Wars. So if you're in a Star Wars kind of mood, you can go click on that. Help me pay the bills and uh, hopefully learn some stuff. And then if you want to connect with me on social media, I'm at loud underscore Pete, wherever your social media is sold. Uh, Come talk to me about why you hate my opinions or love them uh, or check out cute pictures of my cat. Kill. 
Uh, you can find my comics on selfie.com backslash panels publishing and comicsology under uh, panels publishing. Uh, I would really appreciate it. Um, you can find my uh, Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. And please tell me why uh, you think Captain Phasma was underserved and how she could be so much better. Uh, and thanks a lot. Phil? Um, wait, Phil, I'm Marco, and um, please follow me at Mr. Marco Animoto, and uh, uh, t- tell me how much you want to be swamped by Swamp Thing in your erotica. Thank you. Oh, my God. oh that was weird. Um, all right. Uh, Ring of Honor did their big WrestleMania pay-per-view final battle. You should check that out and support indie wrestling. As for me, if you like dad bods and hot takes, follow Phil at CyborgBebop. That's C-Y-B-O-R-G-B-E-Bop. That's Cyber-B-Bop. Hey, that was good. <laughs> uh, and uh, as for me, you can find me at Sean Soapbox on Twitter only. And we can talk about um, Jean Grey and uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi. With that, we're the comic spell signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. What's that at? Cyber-B-Bop. <laughs>